So, uh, welcome guys to the uh, West Enjoy show. Um, and so this is like going to be a show where we kind of talk about a lot of the stuff that we like, but mostly it's going to be for Formula One. A lot of the stuff um, is going to be centered around sports. Now, obviously, you know, um, we're not going to cover every single sport. Uh, the main niche of this podcast is going to be Formula One. And uh, joining me is Wesley. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Wesley Ibarra, um, the other host of this awesome podcast with uh, Joy. Uh, and yes, I am happy to provide all the F1 opinion, knowledge, as well as uh, expertise on other sports that I tend to follow and study at the moment. Um, but other than that, very happy to be a part of the show. Cool. Uh, Wes, can you like briefly talk about like uh, your um, project at the moment as a sports or a motorsport manager? Oh, absolutely, Jared. So um, currently I am at Northwestern University uh, studying sports management. Um, and on the side, while I'm not uh, doing school studies, I'm on the Formula student racing team. Um, we compete in the FSAE uh, division of uh, Formula Student. So SAE stands for Society of Automotive Engineers. And we typically take the whole school year to build a open wheel racing car for competition. Um, right now we are in the pre-design stage. So all of us are trying to get our designs together, um, having it put together on the, our car. And uh, we hope that come winter, uh, we'll be making those uh, parts exist. And come springtime, we're gonna go racing. And uh, right now I currently work with the systems integration team. And uh, what that means is uh, we work more on the tuning side uh, for our power unit. And um, my role specifically is to be in charge of um, basically parts management. Um, so I would be in contact with all the other departments of the team, such as fuel, oil, shifting, uh, cooling, intake, uh, checking to see where they're at with their CAD designs. Um, and for those who don't know what CAD is, it's pretty much uh, 3D designs of what your part would be or uh, object would be. and um, I work with my other teammates uh, to fit the design parts on our assembly, uh, hoping that they fit. And of course, if they do, great. If they don't, we have to keep consulting with the other teams on how we can make that work. And of course, at the end of the day, we have to present the findings and the final concepts to our head engineer and our powertrain lead. And once it's all approved, then then that's when we get to the manufacturing in the winter. And once that's done, again, we go out, lights out, and away we go, baby. We go racing. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that you're here. You know, you you could definitely bring a uh, perspective that, you know, I don't have. You know, for me, Formula One, it's watching Formula One is more of a, a fan thing for me. Uh, but you, because you are part of a racing team, uh, an automotive team, you are going to be, you know, you're going to have this perspective of like, 
how would you manage teams? Um, you know, what's the in and outs of, of teams and, and the parts and like, especially um, putting people at the right place, um, which is fitting because, you know, uh, this is the week or the past week we've gotten our seventh world champion Mercedes. Right, right. And, you know, that is a very, very big achievement, uh, given that, you know, they've come so far as to being pretty much a pickup project from a Phoenix team, if you will, right. in Braun GP. And at first, everyone thought that they were going to be done after one or two seasons because they weren't performing so well, despite having the names on their driver roster in uh, Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher. Right. But, you know, all it took was not only belief, but also strong teamwork, trusting the right people to uh, push the project through, such as a Toto Wolf, Nicky Lauda, um, as well as the uh, engineers that were already on staff. And, you know, the, the topping on the, the cake there was Lewis. And after all that got put together, here you are, right. you know, every champion, right, for the past seven seasons was Mercedes. And, you know, it, from now, for now, it sounds like there's no signs of stopping them. Right. Despite the little gains here and there that um, Red Bull have been making. But other than that, um, while we're still talking about Mercedes, that's that's an incredible feat. And that right. that's something that uh, is practically once in a lifetime. Very seldom do you get to see one team dominate a certain sport for a big period of time. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, to kind of start us off, um, let's go through the weekend of how Mercedes captured their seventh world title. Right. And so uh, first off, like, what are your thoughts of uh, Imola Grand Prix? Right. We're back at this like historical uh, race. Of course, there's also some emotional um, feelings toward this race coming back to it. Um, and so, yeah, what were your quick thoughts of this race? Well, my quick thoughts are that I'm just blessed to have such a classic track uh, on the calendar and to at least see it once in my lifetime, right? right. Of course, you know, we weren't around to see uh, the greatness of like Prost and Senna and young Michael uh, go through the, that track and tear it up. And But for us to go out and have that opportunity to see it, um, it really, it really felt like we were establishing ourselves as Formula One fans, right? Because if we were to talk to older Formula One fans, um, they would talk about Imola. And now, because of last weekend, we kind of have that footing that okay, now we understand why uh, racing fans, especially Formula One fans, uh, have loved Imola. You know, throughout their fan, um, their fanhood. Right, right, and and right from the start, you know, the the weekend was already like going off to a fast start. Um, Friday, uh, Friday practice is no longer part of the F one weekend. I think this was just an experimental thing for Formula One, and it seems as though they're leaning towards um, without 
taking out Friday practices, which I think is is good because it kind of throws teams in this situation where they have to get the laps in, they have to get the practice times in, and they have to get all their tests done on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, well, pretty much Saturday. Um, the bulk of it is going to be in Saturday, but like I think a lot of the teams were kind of worried that the tires weren't going to work. Um, but, you know, in Formula 1, you have to be ready for anything, and I felt like all the teams handled it well. And so, like, let's go through qualifying, right? So, um, Valtteri Bottas gets pole position, right? Snatches it from Lewis Hamilton, who had the, um, uh, the pole position, um, uh, like, early on in Q3. And then... Yeah, he was provisional for a while, yes. Absolutely. And so, um, Verstappen, P3, Gasly, P4, Ricardo, P5. P6 is Albon. You know, he's he still kind of struggled um, to match Verstappen's pace. Um, but I didn't expect him to be anywhere close. Verstappen, um, he seems to be out of form, but more on that later. Um, Leclerc, P7. Uh, Kvyat, P8. Norris, P9. 10 is Sainz. 11, Perez. 12, Ocon. 13 was Russell. Vettel was um, 14th. Stroll was 15th. And... Um, Grosjean was 16th, Magnussen was 17th, and Raikkonen was 18th, 19th was Latifi, and the very last person was Giovinazzi. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, like, you know, there, there are some some patterns, you know, starting to form um, as the season closes, especially uh, on these one-lap qualifying sessions, right? Like, one lap pace, um, we're starting to see pretty much. It it amazed me how AlphaTauri was like right behind Verstappen. So uh, that was that was I think the biggest surprise of qualifying. Uh, and for the race, um, Hamilton wins the race. He got pole position. Um, uh, we'll talk about it more if it was a stroke of luck or this is just Hamilton being Hamilton. And then uh, P two Bottas. P3 is Ricardo, so Cyril is going to get that second tattoo. Well, they claim that he's not, but he should. Uh, and then fourth is Kvyat, uh, fifth is Leclerc, uh, Perez was sixth, Sainz was seventh, and Norris was eighth, and Raikkonen was ninth, and Joven, uh Oh, really? Was it Giovinazzi that finished tenth? You seem surprised. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know. Uh, I didn't even realize that. Let me see. It was. Wow. Okay. So double point score for um, the two Alfa Romeos. Well, look at that, right? I mean, that's the beauty of the race. Right. Um, you see a lot of turnover. You, like you're, it's another reminder that your qualifying position does not define you. Right. Unless you're Sebastian Vettel, which you know, I don't want to. I don't want to dog the guy you know i understand he's gonna go down as one of the sports all-time greats but of course you know he's continuing his poor form all throughout the season right and of course for fans that have been around uh the sport during his time of dominance and into today it's kind of quite uncomfortable to see right right but for what it's worth the race really um had a lot of suspense 
um, in the event of uh, odd happenings, i.e. <laughs> Botas right. with his uh, debris incident, right. uh, Verstappen's right rear going kaput, right. and uh, GR, uh, George Russell, binning it on the safety car. <laughs> right. Right. Which was unfortunate. I, I felt really, really bad for the guy because he was in the points. He was top ten, um, and had had that not happened, and he held on, perhaps he would have scored his first point, and the Willy Garage would have gone bananas or bonkers, as they say, over to our uh, friends in the UK. But um, the the biggest thing with that race, I felt, was the three horse race between Lewis, Botas, and Hamilton. Right. And, um... Oh, you mean uh, Max. Max. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Max, yeah. yes. But, uh, you know, they were able to pretty much run away from the field, right? Right. And at that point, it just became who was going to blink first. And, you know when Lewis went on radio saying, my right front doesn't feel great, uh, Max and Valtteri played it by the book, right? right. Undercut. That's right. what all the, that's what everyone likes to do to one another. Undercut, overcut. Right, right. And then all of a sudden you just hear, okay, I'm gonna pick up the pace now from Lewis. So, right. I mean, it, he did just that, right. which is amazing, right? Cause it's like, wait a minute, if your tires are not performing well, should you not, pick up time right, right, and right. but for what it was worth that was a master class because Absolutely. he was able to overcome what is a by the book strategy and for the best two teams in the sport uh to play play it by the book you would think that it was it's gonna work but somehow he overcame it sure there was a virtual safety car uh but he overcame it and that's that's what got him the victory. And uh, yeah, like that was probably one of the better victories from Lewis I've seen in a in a while. Right. Okay. And so I think this is a great segue where um, we get to rate uh, the drivers' performances uh, individually. Um, and we're gonna try to rate them from like one to five. One being like bad, and then like five being like outstanding. You know, they're pretty much driving the wheels off the car. Uh, and so, I mean, let's just go down the, the path or like the, the path of like how these uh, guys finished. And um, so on the topic of Hamilton, um, for me personally, I would give him a, mm, a four out of five. I think he drove, really? he, dr he drove great, you know, um, it shows his experience um, in the front, being able to go into radio and say like, I could go a lot longer and I could set a lot faster times. And, he, and there was a moment in the race where he just kept setting faster and faster times. I think there was like four in a row, four lap, three or four laps in a row where he set the fastest time because he just had clean air in front of him. Um, part of the reason why I don't really give him a five out of five is because I do think um, there was kind of a stroke of luck, right? Um, now, Granted, right? Like, he was pulling away from Bottas and Max as soon as they made the, uh, their pit stop, and Lewis just kept going. Um, however, the virtual safety car did allow him to uh, not lose a lot of time uh, pitting, 
and pretty much regain the lead back in virtual safety corner. And so, like, I think it was Crofty or Ted Kravitz who said, you know, Christmas came early for Lewis. And I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that uh, part of it is true, but part of it is also a, a majority of it is also Hamilton being so experienced, being the best driver on the grid, pretty much. He knows exactly what to do in every situation. And he saw the opportunity, like, the mediums were fine um, as soon as Bottas and Max left um, or pitted. Uh, you know, you absolutely picked it up, right? Like, these guys are trying to, like, undercut one another. Um, and it worked. It worked for uh, Hamilton, who was running third at that time. So, yeah, uh, how would you rate Hamilton? Oh, I don't know how many times I'm going to give this <laughs> off uh, for the rest of the season. Um but I, I'm going to give Lewis a perfect score on our inaugural episode, Joy. And that is, again, like what I just said um, earlier in the last segment, that was a master class. Right. Right. You know, he somehow was able to overcome the undercut. Right. And was gaining, gaining time uh, to the gap between the, his uh, competitors behind him. And yes, again, the virtual safety car was a bit of a gift. That's fine. Right. But he still managed to maintain the lead. And even on the actual safety car, too. Let's not forget that. Right. Um, because when you queue up like that, anything can happen. Absolutely. Uh, especially even with a, a driver like Lewis, you know, despite him being so good and um, notorious for uh, giving uh, Mylander the heebie-jeebies and perhaps. <laughs> giving everyone crap for going super slow. And then once everyone like shuts their awareness off for just a little bit, he just punches it and then everyone's like, Oh my God. Right. 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 Uh, but no, if, if, if someone were to watch Lewis Hamilton and try to figure out how great he was, that's one race. I think that they should watch right. in full. Absolutely. And that it just showed, like you said, like the race craft, the experience, and, you know, the awareness of the tires, like, yeah, he might have said that uh, his right front wasn't feeling so great, but eh, I don't know. I think he really knows how much he can get out of those Pirelli's tires on his car. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he just showed again, time and time again, setting fastest laps on used tires compared to his competitors that, you know, he's got it. And, um, you know, not, not too many drivers, even those in the upper echelon can overcome cuts from the pit. And he, he just showed it there. And I don't know how many times we're going to be able to see that, uh, throughout our lives as F1 fans. All right. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And and by the way, uh, Mylander has, has been quoted to say that, um, Hamilton and Vettel are the number, like the two top drivers that give him the hardest time. Uh, I mean, my lander is going flat out, and like these guys seem to want him to go a little bit more faster. So I thought that was a, I thought that was a, an interesting um, thought by my lander. Uh, so um, let's go to Bottas. Um, for me, uh, he struggled right with the floor damage. Um, he fell back, uh, lost the position to Max. 
Max should have been P2 uh, in this race. Um, it looks like he had more pace um, than Bottas, uh, especially during the middle of the race. Um, and, you know, I, I'd probably give Bottas a 3 out of 5. Um, he didn't really do anything too special for me. Uh, that, that seems a lot of the case for Bottas nowadays. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think, um, yeah, Bottas didn't really stand out for me. Um, I think he just did a, a great job of managing his race. Got the P2, of course, after, you know, on merit on um, Verstappen retiring. But, yeah, uh, I, think, I think it was an okay performance by Bottas. I'm going to give him a three as well. Okay. Uh, the one time that the roles are reversed where Hamilton aced the practice, but he got the, the pole position, <laughs> right. he couldn't take advantage of it. Right. Um, but, of course, the one thing I love Valtteri, about Valtteri, I mean, is that he's the ultimate team player. I think um, so, yeah. From a management lens, you got to love someone that is willing to uh, duke it out for the team. Um, of course, he's been probably doing that ever since he was there at Mercedes, right? Right. But right. for him to have such a um, liability in the floor damage, because, you know, those cars are so sensitive, despite right. how amazing they are. And yes, he lost a position, but he was still able, even with a little bit of luck, he was still able to uh, provide his share to getting that seventh constructors championship, right? Absolutely. And even 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 though he did lose pole, it doesn't mean he's a bad driver. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely not. Especially and, to Lewis. Right, and he could have he could have done a whole lot worse. Right. So I give him a three because one, he positioned the car in a great position to contend uh, prior to race day. Sure, uh, what kind of happened didn't work in his favor. One thing was kind of out of his control, or should I say both? Both things were out of his control, right? You want to play the strategy, and it just so happened that Lewis found a way to overcome it right. somehow. But because he's such a he's such a great team guy, right. and that he's willing to do whatever it takes to help his team succeed, right. you know, I give him I give him the benefit of the doubt there, and you know. At the end of the day, it's a it's a solid eighteen points to his uh, to his name for the season. Right. I mean, I've always said, you know, if if Red Bull had the choice to get Valtteri Bottas um, along with Max Verstappen, I mean, they wouldn't hesitate because Bottas is, I think, the perfect rear gunner for any number one driver. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you know Bottas isn't a number one driver, but you could, like you said, you know, he's more of a team player. He's willing to play. Uh, the long game, um, and also, you know, in order to capture the best results for the team. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, I, one more thing I do want to say about Valtteri, and it's it's quite positive. For what it's worth, I've always maintained that despite him being the super teammate to Lewis, i.e. the Pippin to Lewis's Michael Jordan, right. uh, <laughs> he'd be a number one guy somewhere else. Absolutely. Let, let's not... Let's not Let's not forget about that. Like maybe, well, given your Red Bull sentiment, uh, maybe you're kind of right there. Mm -hmm. But let's say, say if he were to go to like a Racing Point, or mm -hmm. a William, back to Williams, or 
any any team with a arrow as their engine supplier, right? Mm-hmm. I think he'd be the number one driver there, or really any team. But other than that, Valtteri Bottas, three out of five. He did what he could. He made the best out of his uh, limited situation, and you know, you, you can't really hate on the guy for that. But of course, you know, blowing pole does suck. But anyway, anyhow, uh, great drive still, and hopefully he can um, he can keep it up. Uh, with Lewis in Istanbul Park. Yeah, can't wait for that. Uh, okay, so let's move on to uh, Danny Rick, right? Uh, I mean, there's no there's no hiding it. Danny Rick is my favorite driver. Um, I've always thought he was underrated, even though he was rated pretty highly. He, you know, people believe he is in the upper echelon of the drivers in the current Formula One grid. Um, a lot of people say he is... Um, a champion in waiting. Um, I don't know if that's going to be true, uh, like, you know, for the rest of his career. Um, we'll see. But Danny Rick, I mean, he just, he didn't do so well um, in quali, right? We thought that he was going to be up there um, alongside Max. I thought he was going to be alongside Max, but I, I think that Renault didn't really have the performance around the corners um, this week. But Regardless of that, Ricardo still finds a way to put it on the podium um, by doing exactly the opposite that everyone did under that safety car, right? He just um, stayed with the tires that he was in and he made it work. Um, and so for me, Daniel Ricardo, I think it's a four. Okay. For me, yes, I, I will agree with you there. I will give him a four. Um, you know, he's a great driver, right? right? Like you said, he, uh, some folks believe that he's in the upper echelon. Well, I would like to say that I'm one of those people. Right. Um, of course he just hasn't been lucky with having that one car that could constantly be in P1. Uh, but other than that, you know, he's bringing that Renault and even when he was at Red Bull, he was bringing his cars to places that no one really thought they would be. Absolutely. Right. right. Well, maybe more so with Renault than at Red Bull. Right. But, you know, two podiums, that's already exceeding expectations. <laughs> that's right? something Renault ha- haven't been able to do by themselves. So I'd tip my hat off for them. Right. And it goes to show that, okay, you can keep saying whatever you want about Renault's car. I have my opinions about Renault's car, right. but for what it's worth, Danny Rick, like I said, has been taking it to damn near the promised land. Right. He's driving the off of it. Right. And, you know, he, he knew where he was at with the car, right? Under the safety car, like you said, and he was able to bring it home. Um, of course, again, with the luck portion of it, that right. played into it too, right? If Max hadn't had his tire blow up, then yeah. he would be... He wouldn't be there. I think he would. There would be no. Him. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, he he finished within the points, right? right? Because that's where Renault is at. But um, he wouldn't be drinking out of his shoe. <laughs> but but you know, he deserves that four, and Absolutely. that's just because he's been driving the wheels off of that thing, like you said, putting it in podiums in some of the races already this year. And, you know, it, it's going to be really exciting to see how many more times he can do that with, I believe, one, two, three, four races left in the calendar. Right, right. 
Uh, that that Renault looks like it's the fastest of all the teams <laughs> in the midfield. So sure, and sure. Well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go over that a little bit later on. You know, um, the race between McLaren, Renault, and Racing Point. So, uh, but yeah, for for is it weird? Um, oh yeah, by the way, what you said you're gonna give him a four out of five, right? As well. Yes, yes, and I do want to say one more thing before we yeah. move on. Mm-hmm. He. You know, I, I might sound like a broken record here, but he proved why he's a damn good driver. Right. Right. He's Ricky Bobby. You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, nothing, I like, you know, he, he's the p- pure example of it's not always about the car. It's about the driver. Right. And, you know, like that point that you brought up about champion and world, wi- in champ- world champion in waiting, um, I don't know, too, yeah. but... Damn it, he's a contender each and every year. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know, I, I have this weird feeling, uh, especially with Renault, that the guy that's going to win the most out of this is Fernando Alonso. Because he knows he's stepping into a really good car next year. Um, I don't know if Ocon's going to give him that much um, competition, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so, okay, so <laughs> P4, the guy that pretty much um, took over the race after the safety car that no Kvyat. Kvyat just pretty much storm past Albon and Perez and overtakes um, Charles Leclerc for P4. And this is, I think, his best uh, performance of the year so far. Now, I thought he was actually going to run down Ricardo. His pace was incredible, but I, I think um, once Ricardo got settled, once he started to get the, the tires going, um, get the temperature up. Um, I think that's when Kvyat really couldn't um, stay with Ricardo. But regardless, Kvyat pretty much proved why, you know, he, there's a reason why he's in Formula 1. Now, I'm not saying, like, you know, he's going to keep his seat in AlphaTauri. Um, but I, I think if this was going to be his last hurrah, you know, um, this was a pretty good pers- performance for uh for Kivia and I'd give him a four a four out of five um now obviously you know sad that Gasly um couldn't finish the race he was there he was pretty much right behind Max Verstappen but um nevertheless you know Kivia still put on P4 yeah no uh Kivia ran a great race um and I will say maybe he found a VTEC range. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Honda there. Uh, Especially in the but, beginning. In the, in the, after the, the safety car left, I think he, he definitely... <laughs> yeah, he definitely turned it on there. And of course, you know, you know that P4 uh, finish was very impressive. Hey, for what it's worth, at least an Alpha Tori remained in that slot, right? Right. right. But um, yes, to me, he deserves a four out of five. If there was a definition or a, a visualization of driving or, you know, working for your job or working your, for your job is on the line or drive as if you have nothing to lose, that was it. That was it. That was it right there. That was it. Kvyat was practically driving as if he had nothing to lose. And they say that the one without anything to lose is the most dangerous. Absolutely. And he, he, he took it. He took it again. He took it to a place, just like Ricardo, he took the car to a place where... Uh, no one thought it would be, 
Right. Um, given that AlphaTauri is practically Red Bull Mini or Red Bull Junior or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, he, he had a really great race. And, you know, that's the thing about Kvyat. He will show, when he's on, he will show signs of a top tier driver. He right? has pace. He has pace. He just needs to consistently find it. Exactly. And that's the thing that's been knocking against him. And chances are that could be his demise from Red Bull altogether this time around. Right. And, you know, I, I love seeing performances like that. I, I love seeing the small teams do good. Right. Um, especially a team like that where their drivers are not meant to be there long term. Right. Uh, so for him to for him to not only make his honor look good, but also the team look good and Honda look good. Right. He deserves that for granted. Again, it's going to be rare for me to give out perfect scores. And Lewis <laughs> had the first one, but Danny here, Danny K man, he, he really, he really, he really showed out that week. And right. yes, hence he has a four. Um, of course, uh, you know, he, if that, if that were to be the case moving forward, maybe, just maybe, uh, he could save himself in the Red Bull program. But for now, I think this is something that he can uh, build off of going into next week. Absolutely. And uh, Kivia is kind of in this weird situation where um, a lot of people are talking about, you know, in the Albon, um, I mean, in the Red Bull program, um, Albon is the topic of conversation, especially when it comes to keeping his seat. Whereas Kvyat um, is also in that same similar conversation where, but it's a different team. It's like, can he outperform Gasly in order to keep his seat? Now, I don't, that's not going to happen, right? Um, Sonoda is just waiting on the wings of AlphaTauri. We don't even know if Albon's going to get um, a seat next year, um, whether he's going to get demoted, but. Uh, yeah, more on that later. So, um, but P5 was the guy that he overtook, I think, two laps before the end of the race is Charles Leclerc, who I think is outperforming the car. Um, I've always told this, and I've told this to uh, Joran as well, my brother, um, that, you know, Charles is pretty much the only Ferrari driver that I love watching. You know, there's not a lot of I mean, you're, you're gonna you're gonna figure out. You guys are gonna figure out um, that I am not a big Ferrari fan. <laughs> However, I do enjoy watching Charles because uh, even from his Alfa Romeo days, he was so talented. You could tell that um, he's just cut above the rest. And I actually put him in the same kind of talent um, as Max. You know, unfortunately, he just doesn't have the the car to do it this year. But I think he's absolutely just driving the wheels off of that Ferrari. And, like, he's just making the best out of it. Um, you know, um, and I think he also stated that, like, the car is feeling a lot better. But it's still a little bit um, hard to drive. But I would give Charles a 4 out of 5. Um, uh, I, I think it's kind of sad as well. Like, you know, everything that's happening to Ferrari this year. But... Um, He's definitely making Vettel not look like a four-time world champion. Are we allowed to give half points yes. in our yeah, scores? Absolutely. Okay. 
Well, Charlie deserves a four and a half. Okay. <laughs> and much like the sentiment that you were um, alluding to earlier, Joy, uh, he is driving the hell out of that red car. Right. Right? I mean, granted, uh, it kind of seemed like he was going to be their guy moving forward anyhow. Right. But he's solidifying why those assumptions were right. Right. Absolutely. And P5, P5, right? While his teammate is in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and not in the right direction. Not in the right direction. <laughs> it, it shows the disparity on top of the, I guess, um, disappointment of the tumultuous season Ferrari's having. Right. And again, he's showing to be that uh, once in a generational talent, like you said, Max Verstappen. Um, you know, to me, um, Charlie, with along with Max and George and Lando, they're going to be part of that golden generation Absolutely. of Formula One drivers where it could be all those guys competing for the title and they could be trading it year in and year out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Of course, all that's going to take in Leclerc's case is a competitive car. Right. And of course, Ferrari is well aware of that. But for him to finish top five in what is considered a home race. Yeah. And unfortunately a race that they weren't favored to win. Right. You got to take, you got to take the opportunities as uh, they're given to you. Right. And for him to bring it home in P5 in a car that could have finished in the double digits. Right. I gotta, I gotta tip my hat to him. And, you know, I, I haven't really followed Ferrari since I've been following F1. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go out of my way and say that I'm a, I guess, a hater. And that's not, <laughs> not going to be the, the stance I'm going to take about Ferrari. Yeah. But, of course, you know, with that name, you have to you have to perform. Right. Charles Leclerc is doing that. There's so much expectations. And, I, I, right. And, you know, it's like, you know what? He's showing that, you know, he'll still keep you all relevant. And by you all, I mean Ferrari. So, yes. Four and a half to Charlie, just because a he's driving the living hell out of that car. B he's showing that you know we're not done yet. Right. We're, we're this is just the beginning for Ferrari. Absolutely, and like um, you know, I've always kind of wondered like if I worked in that Ferrari team as an engineer, like Charles would inspire me to just give him a car that would be like able to fight, like you know, in the front. I mean, we've seen him do it last year. Um, I think he won four races, right? Sounds right. Yeah, uh, I think he won three or four races. And, like, they were pretty much the most inspiring, I guess you would say, um, especially his Monza win. Um, and this is why, you know, I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with, like, Charles. Because, you know, unlike other Ferrari drivers, he seems very accessible. Um, and I think that showed when he streams with Lando and Alex, and George, you know, he's, he's a, he seems like a very approachable guy, um, and so, this is why I like him, and so, yeah, so let's move on to, uh, Perez, Sergio Perez, now, I think I will get a lot of, uh, hate from, uh, because of the, the things that, you know, I say about Perez, I don't think he's a, he's a bad driver at all, I think he's a good driver, um, but I feel like, 
you know, the media and Formula One definitely make it seem like Perez is a champion in waiting or like one of the best. Um, I don't really think that. Um, I do think he is a good driver. Um, but I do think that this performance that he had this week was incredible. It was good. Um, okay, I, I have to pick one, right? I think it was great. It was a great performance for uh, Racing Point, um, for him and Racing Point. Um, you know, and but unfortunately, this was supposed to be the third fastest car in the beginning of the season. And, you know, um, this is when, like, I was very critical of Perez and Stroll um, because when they did have the third best car in the beginning of the season, they still weren't putting it in like the third or pretty much they struggled to even get it at fourth and fifth. And so I don't know, uh, at this point, I don't think that they have the third best car. Um, but I do think that Sergio is really just taking his, his opportunities when he sees it and he's making the best out of it. So I think this is one of his best performances of the season. Um, fourth, I mean, four out of five, I think I would give him. He was so consistent. Um, but I expect that from a, a driver with a lot of experience. I'll give Checo a four as well. Okay. And yeah, much like uh, what you said earlier, uh, he's consistent. Unfortunately, yes, you are right. When you do have the third fastest car, um, you should be a little bit higher right so that would ideally be oh uh, well third fastest car ideally, well, or maybe he maybe been... maybe he's right where he is right right in that case but of course you know it should be more so like that right. throughout the season absolutely there were times where uh both racing points were below p6 right right and um there were times you know, where both racing points looked they were faster than Red Bulls. Sure. Yeah, it's it, it it's a little inconsistent, and it's kind of it can be hard to watch. So I understand that. And you know, I'm actually pulling for Racing Point this year to be that third team. Okay. Just because you know what, like, who doesn't love it when everyone is you know talking down on them, only for them to pers only for you to persevere at the end. That's okay. what Racing Point's going through right now. Right. That, oh, despite all the protests and the point deductions, it would be so rewarding <laughs> for Racing Point to finish the season invested a rest. That's, and, I actually forgot yes. about that. They had points deducted. Yes, yes. So they would but, clearly be the third best team if those protests hadn't gone through uh, fruition. Oh, for sure. They'd be they'd be ahead. They'd have a little bit of a buffer. Right. But yes, back to back to Checo for putting the car on where it would ideally be should the conditions have been uh, constant. Yes, that is one hell of a race. Right. And you know, um, even though Stroll has been fighting him a little bit more this year, right. It's kind of good for him as the number one driver to be ahead. Right. Uh especially for this particular race. Um, you know, now with your world champion and comment sentiment, I don't fully agree with that either, right? Yeah. 
because he's uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you couldn't, if you couldn't live up to the expectations for the guy that you replaced at one of your biggest stops in McLaren, right. and you couldn't defeat a world champion teammate there, right. I don't. And you can't. You still can't beat Lewis now, right? <laughs> right. right. So yeah. it's it's like, and I understand. You know, the uh, Racing Point car and the series Mercedes are two different cars, but still. Um, to me, world champion in waiting is a bit of a reach, but is he one heck of a driver? Yes, Absolutely. he is. Yeah. And, you know, he actually did very good to put racing point in the top five. And, you know, that's, that, that can, that means a lot. Right. So yes, um, four out of five, uh, of course we would like to see a little bit more consistency from not just him, but and racing point as a whole. Right. Uh, and of course I'm sure especially for a guy that has other issues off the track worrying him. Right. It's good when you can put in a, a optimal result. for your team. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and so, I mean, also on a side note, like on top of just uh, the, the points being deducted from racing point, they've um, both of their drivers um, had missed a, a week, a couple, couple of weeks to uh, the virus and Hulkenberg steps in, you know, so they don't always have that consistent driver lineup, but somehow they're still on the fight uh, for P3 in the constructors. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, let's go to Sainz. One of my other favorite drivers in the grid. Um, I actually picked him for uh, best of the rest this year. I thought he was going to keep his, it's not really a championship title, but keep his title as best of the rest, the king of the best of the rest. Um, that hasn't gone well um, this season, but I think science is still showing um, everyone that he does have pace. Now, I thought that the McLarens were going to do a lot better in this track in Imola, right? Um, because it seems as though the the Renaults and the um in the racing points, they do a lot better in the power tracks, right? Like tracks with like that require a lot more powerful engines. But um, McLaren seemed to be more powerful, like around the twistier tracks. Um, and Imola was one of them. And I thought this is McLaren. This is McLaren's chance to get a little bit more points and try to stay ahead of Renault. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, signs, you know, um, I think he did well. I think he did well. Um, I think I'd probably give him a three out of five. Um, he didn't really do anything special apart from his smooth kind of breaking, uh, to avoid Alex Albon spinning out. But, uh, but yeah, I think science was, was good. I think, um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's a bit of a letdown. I thought he was going to be a little bit faster. I thought just the entire the entire McLaren team was going to be a little bit faster this weekend. But um, I think it just shows uh, McLaren is an uphill battle, right? To, to kind of keep the best of the rest and to fight for these points, these crucial points. So, yeah, three out of five for me. I'm going to give... Carlos, as much as I love him, I'm going to give him a two. Okay. 
And he didn't do anything to impress me. Okay. Granted, yes, he was able to avoid Alex Albon spinning, <laughs> spinning. a face palm. <laughs> but, you know, like you said, the McLarens are very good on tracks with a lot of corners. And I understand when you don't have uh, when you don't have the cars that Lewis or Max drives. It's kind of hard to be in the fight. And of course, I'm all well aware that you're not going to be fighting the top, at least in McLaren's case. Right. But um, they were nowhere near the the Renaults or the recent points. It's, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. They were. They were nowhere near the, the teams that they were supposed to compete with. Right. But, and, you know, for, for a driver as good as he is, the background, the pedigree, and, you know, to be that next guy at Ferrari, right. you kind of have to show a little bit more right, right. To, to justify that. Now, do I think he deserves it? Yeah. Uh, yeah and do I, think, do I think that a lot of his misfortunes have come in stuff that, uh, McLaren or he himself can't control. Yeah. Yes, but when you are in control of something, it's up to you and how you want to maximize it. Right. And and there, there he didn't really do anything to, like I said, impress me. If anything, he was rather stationary. Uh, I think that's what they were. I think both. Uh, I think uh, Science and Norris moved up two positions from their qualifying uh, position um, from the starting grid. So, I mean, yeah, it's nothing to, you know, but I, I do think that McLaren are fortunate that both of these drivers are picking up points because at the end of the season, I think this is going to go down to, you know, the Renault, the McLaren, and the Racing Point. So I'm glad they're picking up the points. Um, I do think that they should, they should have done a lot better especially this um, this track. And so, yeah. And for what it's worth, I will say this. Um, McLaren, you were on the upswing right, towards right. the end of last season, and you were supposed to continue that this year. Right. And right now, it looks like those medical graphs. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Right, right. Come on, I want to see McLaren be great again. <laughs> so, I understand, but... Come on, let's 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 pick it up here. Right, and I guess this is a good segue to um, his teammate that finished just one position behind him. Um, in eighth is Norris. Um, I didn't really see a lot of Norris in this race. I, I saw a lot of, I saw a good amount of Carlos, um, but uh, Norris, he wasn't really you know overtaking a lot of people. I felt like he he was pretty stationary. Um, I think it was the the good strategies for um, McLaren that allowed them to move uh, two places from their, or I think it's one, uh, from their qualifying positions. And so, yeah, I'll give him a three out of uh, five. Um, I don't think he did any worse than Science. I don't think he did any uh, better than Science. So I, I think this is just... They're, I think they're lucky that they're picking up these points, and probably, perhaps, uh, at the end of the season, they're gonna they're gonna be happy with the points that they got today because 
like I said, this is going to be a, a much more closer race than we thought. Yeah, no. Um, and because because of that sentiment, you know, too, uh, I didn't find, as much as I love Lando, I didn't find him to do anything that impressed me. And I'm going to give him a two as well with his teammates. So double twos for McLaren. Okay. Um, and, and for what it's worth, there's going to be a, some growing pains, given that Lando is still a young driver and McLaren is still a rebuilding team. But in order to become that next best team, you got to show signs of um, potential right. where you're constantly exceeding your expectations, right? Absolutely. And I understand that's easier said than done. Yeah. But when you're McLaren and you're trying to rebuild your image as one of the big guys in F1. You got to uh, beat Renault. You got to beat Racing Point. Exactly. Right, right. You know, he... P8, P9, that's or P7, P8, whatever that is, right. back half of the back half of the top ten. That's not going to cut it. Right, right. That's not going to cut it at all. Especially in the track. So, like this. well, not just email anywhere. Right, right. Formula One in general. Well, um, so well, that's the thing, right? Like, um, because they're moving to um, a Mercedes engine, now there's nowhere to hide for them, right? Like, now we're going to start to see where they are deficient in the car and i think now because they're going to have a mercedes engine they should uh beat renault and they should beat racing point um or next year is going to be aston martin but yeah that i mean that's exactly like you know what i'm trying to get to like now the what do you call it the expectations for mclaren are going to be even greater next season absolutely um you know because when you got your when you get one of your original names back, McLaren Mercedes, right. there's going to be a big, big, <laughs> big expectation right. out of your team. Right. Or as uh, the orange man says, it's going to be huge. <laughs> but for now, you know, Renault, with the Renault unit, they have to, again, fight for points. Stay in the fight with Racing Point and um, Renault works team. Right. But, yeah, you know, Sainz needs to keep building his market value. And Lando just got to keep on growing. Right. Maybe a bit, bit of an underperformance right now. But overall, they're still doing okay. Right. And there's still, there's still a lot to look for in the future. But this past week, nothing impressive. Right. Next, next year is where, like... Like, there is no excuses for them. They have Ricardo. They have a Mercedes engine. They've done this. They've been rebuilding for a while. I think then you start to kind of expect them to be fighting for fourth and fifth. Now, that's pretty much uh, that's expecting if um, Alex is going to show up. But more on that later. Um, so P9 is uh, Raikkonen with Alfa Romeo. Um absolutely hit the strategy again um you know Raikkonen's been great these past races um he seems to do a lot better in historical tracks it seems to me um but yeah putting that Alfa Romeo in in the points you know that's that's impressive um and so you know Alfa Romeo they're not gonna get they're not gonna score score a lot of points 
this season. So whenever you do get the chance, um, you have to capitalize on that. And I think he did well. Um, I'm going to give him a three out of five. Um, you know, I, he's definitely one of those guys in the grid where I do have um, a strong feeling about, you know, um, do I think he should have stayed in Formula One? You know, I, I guess that's a whole different podcast uh, in and of itself. But um, I think this week he just did he did good. Um, I mean, I, I think he actually did brilliant because that Alfa Romeo doesn't score a lot of points. Um, and so I'll, I'll give him a four out of five, I think. I was going to say, don't you dare <laughs> underrate the Iceman. Ice and I was, I'm going to give him a four. Okay. Again. You're gonna have to do do the damn near impossible to get the that five that and five. sure and they actually came pretty close, came pretty close. But uh, uh, maybe maybe if uh, he actually got his way with his engineers, because he was complaining about uh, the strategy and uh, the safety car. Right. But of course, you know you cannot predict that. Yeah. There is no simulation on this earth that can predict the safety car, but. Yes, you know, um, I think that's two weeks in a row where he put the car for a good chunk of the race. This time he brought it home, but for a good while that it was in the points, correct? Mm-hmm, absolutely, yes. And, yeah, and for a car that's supposed to be battling with the willies, <laughs> you know, uh, and um, he, he showed not only his experience and his race craft, but, you know, it's also, again, for the most part, a pretty good strategy. Yeah. yeah. Pretty aggressive, um, and of course, near the safety car was kind of like by the book. Given again, you can't predict that, but uh, Kimi was able to find that 2019 self where he was getting a lot out of that Alfa Romeo, a lot, a lot out of that back marker car, and um, yeah, you know, that's that's enough said. I mean, of course, yeah, like we can pick, I can try and pick on him with his uh, nagging <laughs> radio demands, but hey. That's that's what you get when you have Kimi Raikkonen on your team. Absolutely, and yeah, he showed that he could still do it. Yeah, that this is the perfect hobby for him, <laughs> and uh, you know, and for what it's worth, it's it's just it's just good to see him in points zones again. Right. Right. So yes, four out of five for the Ice Man. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. And so I guess that's a good um, segue to his teammate, uh, Giovinazzi, who I guess proved um, that he does deserve the seat in Alfa Romeo. Um, by the way, he, these um, two drivers, Reckon and, and Antonio Giovinazzi, were confirmed to be staying at Alfa Romeo, which was a big surprise to me because I thought one of the Ferrari junior drivers were going to take that um seat that Giovinazzi seat um in Opera Mail and so uh I guess this showed like you know on a good day he will put it on the points uh the thing is it has to be a good day for Giovinazzi um and I guess this week was a good day um I'll give him a four out of five you know same with Raikkonen because like I said um these Opera Mails are not supposed to be up there they're supposed to be with the Hasses and with the Willies. So, 
Uh, I'll give them a four, a four out of five. This was this was huge for them to score points for both cars. Um, and so yeah, uh, I think this is a a good race. Uh, I think um, he's this is the first step for Giovinazzi to prove that he he does belong in that seat. I'm gonna give uh, Antonio a four as well. Okay. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of him <laughs> and I do have my opinions on why he is re-signed for Alfa Romeo more on that to come later in the podcast by the way okay. cool. uh but you know you got to give credit where it's due right and unfortunately yes you are right his good performances come on a good day right and you know he is he is a good driver right right but much like you know, like the Checos and the Strolls and the other drivers, we need that consistency. Where right. is it? Right. You know, especially when you have the prancing horse logo beside you and their eyes are upon you. Right. Like, you need to show consistency. Right. If, he, was, if he, was, Ant, uh, it, he was being considered for that second Ferrari seat, but... Well, that's, that's what I'm saying, right, Joy, right. that if Anto had just shown a little bit more consistency... Well, granted, a lot of it is it's, it's kind of a bit of a tall order when your car is expected to finish in the back markers all the time. Right, right. But if you can actually be a little bit more consistent about your productivity, then they wouldn't have had to uh, overpass you for signs, right? right? right. Absolutely. And um, I had a conversation with one of my other uh, peers who covers and follows F1, and he felt that at first Giovinazzi was probably not going to be considered at all. Right, right. And when you think about that, that's a problem. Right. But I'm not going to rain on the man's parade too much. He, he did a hell of a drive on Sunday. He deserves that P10. Uh, I wonder if uh, his uh, engineer or team principal or whatever is going to try and convince him to get a haircut, <laughs> uh, which could probably make the aero package just a little bit better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, no. Well-deserved, my man, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, four out of five for you. Um, I hope to see more uh, consistency in the future. And uh, that would, and trust me, if that happens, it's going to lead to maybe that big seat that you're looking for, man. Yeah, hopefully. you know, Because um, if it doesn't work, then um, for Giovinazzi, wouldn't you consider that as a failure for um, Ferrari's junior team? You know, um, now... Granted, you know, Leclerc is an exception, right? Like, he, he's actually one of those Ferrari junior drivers that get to um, drive for Ferrari. Um, but I thought Antonio coming out of Formula 2, um, or I think it was GP2 at, the, uh, at that time, um, I thought he was going to be a little bit better, but, you know, he, he this is his second chance in Formula 1, and we're going to have him for one more year, so... Yeah, um, but let's go to uh, Latifi, who uh, I've always kind of had this feeling that Latifi benefits a lot from um, the strategies that are given to him. Now, I'm not saying, you know, he's slow or he doesn't have pace. Um, he's definitely a talented driver, but um, yeah, like, you know, he, he seems to find himself in this position at 11, but he's kind of stuck in no man's land where he's too far from the car in front and the car behind is just a little bit 
too far back to attack him. So, I don't know. Uh, Latifi, I'll probably give him a 2 out of 5. Um, uh, not a lot to to be impressed about in Latifi. I, did, I don't think I even seen him in the race, during the race. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think this is a... I think this is just a, an okay performance by Latifi. I am going to give Nicholas Latifi a 3 out of 5 here. Okay. And... Of course, it is kind of hard, especially when they're not showing every single car in the broadcast on where they're at. Right. Um, and, you know, for a guy that's been pretty much, in my standards or opinion, underperforming all season, granted, I understand he's a rookie and he's in a backmarker car, the worst car in the grid. Right. Um, but the guy's P11. At the end of the day, he's P11. Right. Um, and, Start you know, that's... Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's kind of hard. Uh, like getting in that position is a bit of a tall uh, tall order. Right. Um, granted, uh, especially when you have your teammate George Russell, who'd already kind of put the car there. <laughs> um, More on him. <laughs> but it, it's it's a lot of pressure, um, right. especially to be on you know basically a different car. You know, the expectations are. A little bit different than they, they are in um, Formula Two, right. uh, and on top of that, you're getting your butt kicked by your teammate most of the time, anyhow. Right. But for you to bring the car home in P11, just outside the points, yeah, you didn't score any points, but it's still a bright spot for the team, especially when those cars are projected to always finish 19 and 20. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe, all the time. Maybe. So. Maybe I'm a little harsh on Latifi. I'll give him a three out of five. I'll, maybe I'm a little harsh. Ooh. He did. He did start 19. So that's. I mean that that shows skill. So to put it up in 11, even though it was a great strategy call. So. Uh, but, I'm glad I was able to sell you on that one. <laughs> I mean, okay. Granted, I forgot where he started. I thought he actually started, pretty like 16th. I thought he started 16th, but. 19th to 11 seems looks a lot better. So uh, yeah. yeah, so let's let's move on to Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel, Seb, Seb, Seb. Um, yeah, uh, it's not looking good for him. Um, you know, thank God that he was able to secure a seat in Aston Martin. Now I don't know how much more of a difference it's going to be at Aston. Um, this is probably one of the two arguments that you're going to hear me apply for a driver, um, in, in this grid, but your engineers and your team principal can only help you so much. At the end of the day, I think you also have to apply yourself. Um, and I think Vettel has lost a lot of confidence I think he's lost the support that he that he wants from Ferrari. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of comments on in Formula One um, that Vettel that Ferrari are sabotaging uh, Vettel, which I disagree because why would you why would Ferrari intentionally sabotage Vettel? Um, it's not going to make Vettel look stupid. It's gonna make Ferrari look stupid if um, 
if they were intentionally sabotaging his races. But, I mean, these are just, like, the things that are happening to Seb. Um, and, you know, when, when you don't have confidence and you always... And he look he looks like he's he's just given up on Ferrari, and I think that rubs off on a lot of his engineers, a lot of his teammates. Um, and it's sad it's sad to see that this is his last year in Ferrari, um, when he's fighting against the Alfa Romeos and the Willys. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Seb. Uh, I love I love you as a person. I think he has one of the best personalities, but. I think he's lost a lot of confidence um, ever since being able to challenge Hamilton for a championship. Uh, but I expect a lot more from a four-time world champion, um, and I'm going to have to give you a one out of five. I think this is the first one out of five we've ever given. We've given so far. So, sorry, Seb. Make that two one out of fives. I'm going <laughs> to give him one out of five as well. And it's not really a laughing matter, yeah. given that he's struggled all season. He's struggled. And he's the kind of, like you said, he's such a nice personality. He's good for F1. And you don't want to give, especially someone who at one point was so dominant, a one out of five. But at the end of the day, it's results-oriented business. Granted, you know, Ferrari has its own issues, but... At the same time, when you don't produce the results that are expected of you, people are going to look at you a certain way. But uh, for me, Sebastian just has to bring it home this year. doesn't matter what position he's in. Maybe take a big little sabbatical during the (laughs) off-season. Try not to think too much about racing. Right. Or racing at all, just for a little bit. And then once it's time to report for your first day at work at AMR, uh, drive the drive like your life depends on it right. and get yourself back into the conversation. Right. That's all I have for Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. I I I don't have I, I think I think the results already speak for themselves. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, and uh, what I love about Sebastian is that you know, he, he spoke in a couple of uh, interviews ago uh, during the post or the pre-race conference. I think it was at Mugello. Um, and he spoke how, you know, it's important for him to, to finish the season with Ferrari, with dignity. Um, because, you know, this is his favorite team. And it's sad that, you know, we're kind of starting to witness that the team is not putting their faith in him. Um you know, and like I said, it kind of rubs off when you know that uh, you're losing the battle, you know, with your teammate and Ferrari don't back you anymore. Um, and I think that his kind of demeanor and sometimes how he carries himself nowadays, I think it carry it, it definitely rubs off on his engineers. And I think, um, I think it's just sad. Every time I see Vettel, he's just sad. Um. You know, obviously he wanted to bring that championship to to Ferrari, uh, and he couldn't. But I think now he has to kind of look a little bit more towards the future, um, be a little bit more excited. You know, this is a new opportunity for him. So, um, but hopefully he'll score more points uh, in the upcoming races because it's just sad. Uh, I I, w- I want him to do better. 
Agreed. Cool. And so, Stroll, Lance Stroll. Oh man. Um, I don't know if I don't know what happened to Stroll. He was so strong in the beginning of the season. He was outscoring Perez, um, and then all of a sudden. Um, things started going bad for him. Um, I don't quite buy the the argument that the team and his dad is uh, putting out there, saying that you know because he was te- he was tested for uh, coronavirus that he had a week off, and in that week off he he had he developed rust, which I don't buy because Perez had a week off. And he came back even stronger. He pretty much took the reins of the team even after um, he was he left the team. He, he announced that he wasn't continuing with the team. And so I don't know what's going on in Stroll. Um, you know, the, in the past couple of Grand Prix, he's made mistakes. He's made a lot of mistakes uh, from pretty much, you know, closing, closing the door on Lando at Mugello, I think it was Mugello, um, and pretty much running over his his pit crew, um, I j- and he just seems lost. He he seems lost at the moment, um, and so I think right now I'm bearing, I'm I'm being very harsh on on Stroll, and I think you need to be because you get to keep your seat at Racing Point, um, and I think. Perez absolutely deserves that seat as well. Yet, you're not the one performing at the moment. And like I said, right, this battle between Racing Point, McLaren, and Renault is getting a lot tighter as the season goes on. And you're not there. So I'm going to give you a one out of five. You should be there. You should be alongside Perez um, and getting that third place in the Constructors. I guess the streak of ones keeps on going. I'm going to give Stroll a one, too. (laughs) Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Stroll. And some of his, I guess, uh, recent antics are not a laughing matter. You know, I hope that Jackman is okay. okay, Um, I think he was. uh, I heard heard that he was hit in the face. So it's like, you know, of course, at first glance, it's kind of funny. But... uh, But... In the grander scheme of things, it's just like, oh my god, that is just terrible. And of course, yes, he's been in poor form lately. You know, with the crash. Uh, where was that Mugello. crash? Was that uh, Mugello? Yes. Yeah. Um, of course, the, with the test positive and um, the, I guess, um, PR disaster that that kind of caused on Racing Points end. Um, he didn't do anything to impress me in the Emilia Romana Grand Prix, right. or at the. Nurburgring, to be honest with you. Right. Um, and, you know, he is kind of like succumbing to all the hate that he gets on the internet. Yeah. That, uh, you know, like, oh, the, the daddy driver, he didn't do anything <laughs> to deserve a seat at Racing Point. Uh, you know, um, actually, when I was watching that race, uh, I coined the term that uh, one of my uh, family members uses to uh, describe a person that is kind of not there mentally, and that term is called a dingus. When he <laughs> when Stroll hit the damn Jack man, he had a dingus moment. Right. And you know when you are practically 
the team, right? You need to show up. We we just talked earlier about Checo with having the third best car. Prove it. Right. Bring it home in five or six. Right. Not not after the points. Right. And, like and like I said, right? Like he doesn't have to be necessarily in front of Perez, but at least be there so that Perez is not by himself bringing the points at racing point, right? Right. And he's the one leaving. And for what it's worth, he might have a cause of the yips, whether that's through the internet hate or, you know, because of the coronavirus test or whatever it may be. But, dude, at some point, you need to wake up. You need to stop being this quote-unquote dingus. (laughs) Stop hitting Jackman. Don't make as many mistakes. Again, I understand it's easier said than done. But you need to justify that you're not what the people say you are. Right. And, and I, you you don't you do not need you do not succumb to that you know negative press on you. And I, I also want to preface this that I do like Stroll. Um, uh, I think he does deserve to be in Formula One. I think he's he's proven that over the years. But now when the team need him the most, I think he's just falling apart. And so I hope you know he finds some form in the Turkish Grand Prix. Um, I don't think he's ever raced in the Turkish. No, he's never. No, he's never ray, raced in that um, track. I don't even think in his junior career he raced in that track. So, completely new track to learn. Um, hopefully, you know, him and Racing Point pick up some type of you know points. That that sounds weird, but like, but yeah. Uh, right, right when the championship is is getting closer, he needs to be there um, because. The McLarens aren't scoring enough points to clearly take uh, the third best uh, in the constructors. And Renault only has Daniel Ricciardo in the front fighting for them. Um, and so you, you got to be there, Lance. Uh, so <laughs> you got to be there, bud. So, yeah. Um, any more on Stroll for you? No, I think uh, what you just said, your last sentence of you got to be there. Right. That's exactly what it is. And I'm sure he's well aware of that. So let's see, going into next week's race at Turkey. Okay, cool. Um, I will say this, right? Like, I did not see a lot of Grosjean. Um, he, finished, he finished P14. Um, I think uh, his teammate kind of stole the show uh, for Haas. Uh, you know, like I said, like, I, but he did. I think um, Grosjean picked up. 10 seconds of penalties for going off track or uh, pushing um, like pushing the track limits um, and so you could tell he, he definitely wasn't comfortable with the car um, all week long uh, that was also like a, a point of conversation before we even started racing in, uh, in Imola is that there's going to be some kind of um, track limits problems right and so i think uh i think grosjean explored a lot of those track limits even on race day so uh i mean you know he i think grosjean he's he's kind of let go um you know he knows that he's not going to be back uh next season uh i also think he's you know but i i thought that's how he felt even before the season started he knew that this was going to be his last year i think he was just going to retire from formula one and through that, I think he's just become a little bit 
more consistent now being more consistent in the back but uh, regardless you know uh, I don't see that Haas scoring a lot of points I think they're pretty much happy to grab as much points as they can um, and yeah uh, I mean I think he did okay you know I, I didn't expect a lot from him um, so I think he or no I think he did a, I'll give him a three out of five. I think he was in the points until he got those 10 second penalties. Um, I gotta check. I think he was P9, uh, and then he got those. He got the 10 second penalties the uh, for pushing the track limits, and he got pushed to he got pushed to uh, P14. So I, I gotta double check, but I, I think he did okay. Quite generous. <laughs> But I would give him a two That's out it. of okay. five. Why? Like, the track limits thing has been a problem his all season. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Even and of, Right. And, of course, he's he's noted problems about the car right. uh, in different instances. And, uh, you know, I don't know. For whatever reason, he just... It seems like his uh, time at Haas really was just dwindling. Right, yeah. And I guess his abilities as an F1 driver. Right. He was this once proud driver that was right. scoring podiums for um, Lotus, but now, you know... Right, yeah. and yeah, no, I mean, like, he... I don't know, like, he went... I'm not saying he's a bad driver. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason... Uh, he just couldn't get it uh, for the past couple seasons. His form has been very poor, and obviously he's been subject to a lot of opinions from <laughs> not just fans but also right. pundits. Right, right. Okay. So hence, and you know, I think a lot of that just led to him being unemployed for next season. But you know, much like every other race that I've seen since I've been watching Formula One uh, and Haas. And, you know, Grosjean hasn't really done too much, except for those first couple years right. there. But recently, he's just been doing nothing. But, so, but you know, what else is new? So, <laughs> there, there you go. Two out of five. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, I, I have nothing more to say for Grosjean and Haas. So, uh, let's move on to probably the hottest topic of the Formula One grid um, right now is Alex Albon. Um, he was there. He was um, in the closing stages of the of the race. He was there. Um, I think he was P four uh, during the end of the safety car, uh, but he quickly lost that to Perez. Um, and no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So quickly lost it, and then yeah, just spun by himself um applying the power uh i mean we've always heard that um that phrase like you know if you, if you apply too much power the, the the car will go from under you but i think uh it goes back to what i said about vettel you know your engineers and your team principal can only do so much uh at, at some point you have to start applying yourself and i think that's what albon has struggled 
this year with. Um, I think he has very little to no confidence left in himself, which is a huge problem. I don't think, you know, it's necessarily his fault. I don't think uh, the media does him any favors by kind of fueling the fire that, um, you know, he, he's not good enough for Max, which I think isn't, like, I get it. He's not supposed to be as good as Max, but he should at least be, like, two or one-tenths off of Max. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think Albon, we, we've... I kind of have this thing where, like, I think Albon wishes that he only had half a season like Gasly. Because now it, it seems as though, like, he's 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 pretty much a punching bag. Um, a lot of people are taking shots at him. Um, I don't think it's deserved. I think he's a great driver, you know, finishing third behind Norris and Russell in F2. It shows that he does have skill and he does have a lot of talent. But, you know, at, at the moment, you know, you shouldn't beat a dead horse. Like, he's, I think he's his own worst critic. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that goes on in the background for Alex uh, that we don't see. But what we do see is that, like, he's a really nice guy um, and he's fast you know, he's quick. Uh, I think he's proven that last season. And that's, I think that's why he got the, the Red Bull seat. But, man, I, I really feel for Alex. Um, I hope, you know, they put him... Because right now, it doesn't seem like he's going to get any seat in Formula 1. I don't think he's going to get any seat in Formula 1 next year, uh, which is sad. Okay, so, Joy. Yeah. Right. And, yes, it is sad. And, of course, I want to be able to go on this topic further but outside of his i guess red bull issues what would you say he deserved for this race uh i think one out of five okay one out of five yeah Yeah. i mean i mean like i said you know at at the end of the day you still have to apply yourself um and right now uh, he's just nowhere close to risk happen at least be there to like because okay uh i guess we could just uh disclose this now i, I think that if albon was only one or ten two tenths off of um verstappen he could he could have made life a lot harder for mclaren uh for mclaren for mercedes i think um if he was there if he was p4 uh, when the first round of pit stops uh, were coming through, and like you said, Max and Bottas were kind of undercutting each other, I think you probably would have forced Hamilton to pit a little bit earlier because he probably would have been, you know, Mercedes probably would have been worried that Alex was going to undercut one of the Mercedes drivers. And so then I think you put, you know, Mercedes in the tight, tight situation where they have to make the right call at the right time. You know, and so, like, I think that's what I've been missing from Red Bull. They don't have a second driver to push Mercedes to make these tough decisions. Um, and and that's sad because at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're pointing all their targets at Albon. Um, and, but yeah, uh, it's destroying his confidence. And I think uh, 
I think he he sees the inevitable at this moment. Yeah, you know, um, kind of like. Well, first off, I'm gonna give him a one out of five as well. Okay. Uh, and kind of like what I said about Kvyat, um, he showed what driving for your job means. Alex did the complete opposite. <laughs> and I understand, like, all the the news, the talk, uh, the the numbers, it can get to you. It it can be mentally depleting. It can be demoralizing. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's a results oriented business. Do I think that he's a capable F1 driver? Yes. Yes. But, of course, when you're at a team that just sets the bar where it is, like Red Bull, you can't be spinning the car around. Right. You can't be You can't be lapped by your own teammate. Right. That, that's especially when you have the same power unit in there. I, you may not have the same upgrades, per se, right. but that's not that shouldn't stop you from finishing in front or behind him. Right, right. Especially when this is supposed to be a year where you're in position to overtake the best of the field. Right. So that's where I'm at with Alex. I love him. You know, he's he's, a, he's someone that I think represents who I would want to see on the grid. But right now, it's not looking good. Yeah. It's definitely not, um, and more on that later for uh, for the Red Bull situation at the drivers. But um, that's pretty much it for all the finishers. The the, the people that DNF, uh, the people that did not finish the race, uh, were Russell, Verstappen, Magnussen, Ocon, and Gasly. And I can tell you right now, three of those guys um, just pretty much couldn't finish the race because their car died. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of these guys were in great position. Uh, Verstappen and Gasly were in great positions, but unfortunately, their Gasly's uh, engine blew out. So I can't, I don't think uh, we should rate them because they have these failures. Um, at Verstappen also had a tire failure, um, and so Alcon had an engine failure again. I think he was running 11th at that point um, when he was uh, so nowhere close to Ricardo. But uh, quickly, let's talk about Magnussen and Russell, the guys that should have finished but they kind of just messed up on the on themselves now i think magnuson is the the first one uh because his is a lot quicker he had migraines i think um his head was moving uh in the in the cockpit of the car and hitting his head on the headrest and that caused him to get massive headaches um i think he was um complaining on the radio saying that uh, the throttle or the upshifts were so intense that it literally flew his head back. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to rate um, Magnuson, you know, because even Martin Brundle, uh, who was at the commentary, said that, oh, you know, he'll get over it. You know, he should be able to finish this race. And then a couple of laps later, he calls in and says, and tells the team that he can't finish. So I don't know. Uh, I really liked Magnuson. I, I thought. He was underrated. I think he had great um, qualifying performances. Uh, but now, I don't know. I think he's also given up on Formula One and Haas. Uh, I think he he knows that he was on his way out. So, yeah. Uh, anything that you wanted to add for Magnuson? Uh, well, I can feel for just about all of them, right? 
right. uh, because Akon clutch problem, that's another thing you can add on to the reliability right. of the car. Uh, Seems as though he's but, the only one facing them, experiencing them now, because Ricardo is is flying. Sure. Um, with Pierre, his bitter uh, countryman, uh, you know, because the two allegedly don't like each other. Right. But um, Pierre, you know, it's it's crazy. You know, he had all the flair. You know, he had the P4 qualifying. He had the Senna helmet going, but he couldn't finish the race. <laughs> um, right. Couldn't, couldn't really tell what was wrong with the car, but hopefully, you know, that doesn't happen again in yeah. Turkey. Uh, Magnussen, that's like, I guess, the equivalent to a, I guess, a targeting penalty in American football. Right. Guy kept getting hit in the head. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure that hurts, especially with all the, the downforce sure. and the G-force. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. But um, Verstappen got a feel because that was a podium finish uh, waiting to happen. Right. And I'm not going to go too far with George because we already kind of discussed it earlier. Uh, but Yeah, I think, uh, I, think he, I think he beats himself up uh, a lot more than what we could say, you know. Oh, for sure. But in that regard, I think we can, we can hope that he'll finish in the points this coming race and maybe that'll be the... Uh, That'll be the remedy to all of his pain. Right. Right. All right. Cool. So let's uh, let's move on to uh, the news, the the recent news in Formula One. Um, now there have been some big news, but we'll we'll go through like pretty much how it unraveled uh, throughout the weekend. So Mercedes winning their seventh world championship. Now uh, there are some interesting interesting topics that come along with uh, Mercedes winning their seventh world championship uh it's unprecedented right no one has ever done it in Formula One the closest one is Ferrari during the Michael Schumacher um era winning six uh but seven is unprecedented they're actually I think they're getting close to Lotus uh Lotus has eight and so Mercedes has seven uh but yeah um congratulations to Mercedes Absolutely. Total masterclass of, uh, <laughs> of okay. performance in this turbo hybrid era. They, um, they no one would have thought of it at first. Yes. Yes. They owned it. No one would have thought of it at first. Uh, you know, for a while it seemed to be Red Bull's world and everyone else was just living in it. Right. And then the tables have turned right. and yeah, it became, it became a line of greatness for seven straight years from, uh, 2013 to 2020 right and of course like we've mentioned at the beginning of the podcast they had the names to go along with the team right and of course you know with all the innovations with all the teamwork the investments and having that right roster they just they just hit it right and you know it we're blessed to see something like this in our lifetime right no matter what sport you follow Right, and they're still in stride, you know. They're still absolutely running, right, and so uh, I think that brings up, uh, you know, a couple of questions, especially like now that the the constructors is secure, now the drivers is not secure yet. Uh, Hamilton could do that this um, 
upcoming Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, but one of the, the questions is, Hamilton alluded to uh, not being sure if he's going to be on the grid next season, which I don't quite believe. Um, <laughs> I think Hamilton and Mercedes, they have this amazing opportunity to capture eight straight uh, world championships. And Lewis is going to break Schumacher's record of um, eight. Well, first, he's going to tie the, the seventh uh, world title. But I think next season, he does have uh, an amazing chance of getting eight. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I think uh, with that being said, like I just want to briefly say that I think Lewis Hamilton is still undervalued. All of his achievements in Formula One is undervalued. Um, it is tougher. Uh, I just want the audience to know, like, it's tougher to defend a world championship than it is to win one. Because I think then the, the expectations for you as being a champion is just, you're bound to fall some uh, at some point. And Lewis seems as though he's getting faster and faster every, sing every single season. And I don't know. I think Lewis's lifestyle is also not the most ideal, especially for um, a champion like himself. But this is his way of expressing himself. This is his way of like, you know, because prior to coronavirus, he was always, you know, one day he's shown in like LA and then one day he's shown at Paris and then he's at New York. So his lifestyle, I thought would catch up to him eventually, but it seems as though he's even more stronger now than he's ever been. And, you know, I think, like I said, um, there's a lot of arguments saying that if you put any of the Formula One drivers in his seat, that they're going to win world championship. I don't think so, because um, it's funny to think that Bottas last season, Bottas... That was the first season that Bottas um, finished second in the in the drivers' championship. Mm -hmm. Until then, he finished behind the Ferraris. So even then, he wouldn't be able to um, to win the world championship by himself in Mercedes. Now, granted, you know, there's always going to be like that argument. Well, he's not the first, he's not the number one driver at Mercedes. He's never going to get the best um, strategy. But I argue that Nico Rosberg was able to beat Hamilton in the same car, pretty much almost at the same strategy uh, all the time. And so uh, I think this, I think if you look at Hamilton's teammates over the years, his number, his first teammate in Formula One was Alonso. Um, and then I think his second teammate was Button. But, like, just look at his teammates. It just shows, like, how good Hamilton is. And I always give this um, argument to my to my brother where Hamilton will always get the best seat in Formula One because he is the best driver. Sure. Um, well, for me, I yeah, his achievements are undervalued for just a variety of reasons, but the one or two things I want to really, really point out. One, I think it's the machinery, right? right. Okay. People want to, people want to say, Oh, 
you know, it's because he has the best car. And yeah, you know, like you said, like people can plug and play. Well, you don't know unless you actually do it. Right. 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 And, you know, people forget that his first world championship was in 2008. That's a, that was a totally different regulation than what it is now. Right. So he was capable of winning in the previous set of cars. It just so happened that his teams weren't there right, right. to win. And I will uh, fact check you for a little bit, Jay. I think you forgot about Kovalainen. Kovalainen. Hickey. For one of Lewis's teammates. I think Kovalainen was before Jensen. I believe so, yes. So, yeah. But, um, you know, I think it's also, despite all the ad advancements that have been uh, implemented into the car since that first world championship, people want to find a way to undermine his greatness as a driver. Right. And I think they won't fully understand that until long after he's gone from the sport. Right. Uh, I and absolutely the, agree. And the second thing, I think it's just his persona. Right. Right? I mean, yeah, there were drivers that lived lavish lifestyles like a James Hunt um, and such, but uh, I think also part of it is because let's 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 ruffle some feathers here. It's because Lewis is black, right? Uh, people throughout throughout history, right? F one history, all the champions have been white, right? Right, or predominantly white. And Formula One is a predominantly white sport. Right. Despite how far we've come as a society, I don't think there are a lot of fans out there that are that have been open to seeing a black guy, let alone a person of color winning the Formula One championship. Right. Right. And with Lewis traveling to, to uh, play um, fashion shows with his private jets and whatnot, living with, in Monaco and L.A., uh, people think, oh, that's going to, like you said, that's going to stop him. But no, he finds a way. And people undermine him, I think, it's just because of how he carries himself. And if there's one driver on that grid that's so conscious about his image, it's Lewis. Right. And I'm sure that that really bothers him a lot. But when it's time to put on the suit and helmet, he finds a way to block that out and remind everyone that, hey, keep hating. I'm going to keep winning. Right. Right. And, you know, this is, this, is, this is my platform to show um, ethnic minorities that they can be successful in something that people don't want them to be successful in. And, you know, for him to not only just be the first of, you know, the first of black drivers, the first of, I guess, I don't know, drivers that come from middle class, working class backgrounds to make it, that was already a win in itself. But for him to win seven more, right? that solidifies to not only people like us, but young kids yeah. that are, you know, not white, that want to do sports or whatever it is that they want to do. They just need to look at someone like Lewis Hamilton and say, damn it, it's possible. So, you know, yes, I, I really think for those two reasons alone, 
Lewis Hamilton's achievements are undervalued and they won't be valued until long after he's gone, which is sad, but that's just how it is. And, you know, for me, I, I try not to listen to that because I, I've been following Lewis for a long time now and I know how awesome he is. And, you know, he's just going to keep on putting his mark of greatness into this great sport. Right, right. And, yeah, he's going to keep going. Uh, like I said, um, like, <laughs> Schumacher's records will be shattered at the end of this. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can still remember. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, we still remember Hamilton because he is, he does have that record. You know, he does have all those records, all those things that, people said like he couldn't accomplish he will accomplish um and so yeah uh i do think but hopefully his legacy um is even bigger than we think uh it's gonna be so but yeah um was there any more that you wanted to add for uh lewis no okay. no um i mean obviously this uh lewis hamilton alone you know deserves a podcast on his own um and uh, we'll be happy to oblige that, um, you know, later on, perhaps maybe after the season. And so, yeah, uh, I just wanted to uh, move on to the other rumors for uh, Mercedes, and that is pretty much um, Total Wolf, right? He's pretty much the biggest cog in this Mercedes machine that um, he's going to take a reduced role. Uh sometime in the near future and I think that plays into Hamilton's um, salary or not salary but um, his contract um, you know obviously him and Wolf get along I think him and Wolf have been to, through tough times um, they've been through hard um, conversations uh, especially in the past and obviously you know I think Wolf is the best team principal in in Formula One, um, and I think it goes just to the Mercedes uh, culture of there is like you know if someone messes up, you don't blame them. You know, it, this is a team thing where if something goes wrong, let's fix it. Let's find solutions to to fix it, and I think this is why they've captured seven world championships um and i credit toto for instilling that culture into every single engineer and to every single employee in that team yeah no um in the grand scheme of things i was actually reading an article from i believe it was the race right. uh they the writer uh, wrote that uh and i'm paraphrasing here that uh, not only the work of their engineers, but also an investment by Toto Wolf, you know, was right. part of the bigger uh, change to get Mercedes to where it's at today. Right. And um, with with the reduced role that he is uh, planning to take, I personally feel that it's not going to affect Mercedes as a whole, especially in the short term. Right, because he'll still be around. He'll still be able to uh, provide input. Right. Um, but I don't think now, he's going to be in like the day-to-day -day kind of uh, workings. Of well, no, right. right. And, you know, that's just a reminder to everyone that, 
Formula One is a really can really be a daunting sport sometimes. Yeah, that it can take away a lot of your time, a lot of your uh, mental and physical strength right. to sustain a full season because you are away just right. about a good chunk of the year. And um, you know how that plays into Hamilton. We gotta see. Right, we gotta. I see. I don't wanna I don't wanna be that one person to go and say that you know this would this would be the end of the Hamilton era at Mercedes. No, right. uh, do I think that it could sway his talks one way or another? Yeah. yeah. How much that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, for now, I think we need to celebrate that that partnership that investment if you're looking at things through Toto's lens and just enjoy and get on course to get that eighth title. Right, right. And I guess this is a good segue to the next topic. Um, You know, winning an eighth championship in Formula One will be more than unprecedented. I don't think it'll ever be broken, ever. Um, And... Uh, I think because because I personally believe that they are the most dominant team in sports history, right? And it's not just because um, they've won all these trophies and all these championships. And I just think that they are the most dominant team in sports because they do have this culture that, you know, is not based on blaming each other if one messes up but it's more about working as a team and trying to figure out and solve these problems as a team and coming up with like clever solutions but also being ahead of everyone in terms of budget right like i think the figures were that like mercedes spent somewhere north of 500 million dollars to develop just the engine and, you know, I'll tell you right now, no other team, probably Ferrari is the closest one, but um, no other team is going to come close to that, uh, especially with just the engine part of uh, the car. And so um, this is why I think they are the most dominant team in all sports. I'm not saying that, you know, they are the most dominant team because of their uh, because of their um the competition that they faced but it's more of like it's this is what formula one is it's an unfair uh game and mercedes is they have all the brightest people on the grid they have the best drivers on the grid and they have the biggest money on the grid right they have the biggest budget and yeah they're, they're pretty much Whatever, you know, Mercedes do from here until now, I mean, it's just only going to amplify the, the Mercedes brand. And I, I think that's why they, um, they are in themselves like the, the best team, the most dominant team in sports history. Well, Joy, um, I know I've been agreeing with you a lot on this podcast, but I think you are wrong, sir. <laughs> I don't think Mercedes is the most dominant team in sports. Now, could they be the most dominant team in 
racing and in racing history? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why not? But in sports, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Okay. And the team that I want to use for this counter argument is the 1990 Chicago Bulls. Okay. Six championships over a span of nine years. Right. Right. Um, it could have been eight, could have been 10 had Michael Jordan had not retired. But let me go with the similarities here. Yes, they were a team culture. When they messed up, they didn't blame Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen or Dennis Rodman or Luke Longley, Steve Kerr. They won and lost together. Um, they did it, believe it or not, with a smaller budget, right? Scottie Pippen was actually one of the least paid players in the NBA at that time. Right despite Michael Jordan being one of the most paid player, highest paid players at that time, excuse me. Right. Um, they were able to bring a bunch of players that originally did not like Michael at first, a la Dennis Rodman, John Sally. And they somehow found a way to get them all to play together. Right. And the one thing I would say is that Despite them, you know, beating almost everyone that they played, of course, there were the Pistons that one season, and, you know, the Rockets won in the middle of the decade because Jordan retired. They were a worldwide phenomena because of how good they were, and because of not just because of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Right. You know, they went on tour to play games against teams in Europe. Right. And people were selling out those arenas, not because their home team was playing the Bulls, because they wanted to see Michael Jordan. Right. Well, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, I think the Chicago Bulls are more popular at that time than the NBA itself. Right. Yeah, they were the rocks. They were the NBA. Right. And let me let me ask you this. Okay, how many people do you know in this in this country? Maybe. Uh, perhaps our home country, uh, the Philippines, uh, for our listeners, we are uh, Filipino. Uh, you know, other countries where F1 is not as big. Ask uh, how, many, how many people in those countries do you think know what Mercedes AMG Patronus is? Give me a rough estimate. Well, I don't even think the U.S. knows who Mercedes AMG Patronus is. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Even a lot, it's, it's already been 30 years almost since the Bulls won their first NBA championship, right? Right. And the people around the world still recognize the Chicago Bulls. Right. But not everyone in this world knows who Mercedes AMG Patronus is. Right. They might know who Lewis Hamilton is, but not Mercedes AMG Patronus. But when it comes to dominance, my God. You have the you have the best team. You have an innovative offense. You're known a lot around the world, and on ta- throughout that that time, you're able to keep arguably the two best players of that time. Right. Like not one of them going somewhere else or whatever. So, yeah. Do I think Mercedes is going to be the one of more one of the more uh, dominant sports franchise in history? Sports history, yes, but the most dominant, I don't think so. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I will definitely stand by that it is Mercedes, uh, regardless of how 
you know, popular they are around the world. Um, I, to them, I don't think it really matters if they're the most popular team. I think you could argue that McLaren, uh, people know McLaren more than they do Mercedes. Um, you know, even Ferrari. Ferrari is definitely synonymous with Formula One. You know, I think when you think of Formula One, you think of Ferrari, not Mercedes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, but I think, you know, just the, based on like the, the achievements alone, uh, I would give it to Mercedes. Um, you know, it's unprecedented. A lot of the things that they accomplish, I don't think will ever be broken especially with the direction that um, Formula One is headed to. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, you know, uh, I like that you you brought a different team or a different sport, a different discipline in, in this conversation because, um, well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think Formula One gets represented as a sport um, in, in the world that we live in. And so I, I would love to... <laughs> Although I'm not the best candidate, I would love to represent that world, you know, Formula One to, to kind of educate and kind of show um, what Formula One is and, you know, kind of show the reasons why I, I fell in love with it. So, yeah, uh, thank you for, for sharing that. Absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> that, that had my juices flowing. I mean, yeah. especially as someone who's uh, had a team sports background. Yeah. prior to uh, following F1 full-time. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know, again, this could be another uh, topic of conversation uh, in another podcast because, I mean, there's so many great teams in the world. You know, how do you sift through and, like, you know, pick out who's the best one? So um, this is probably going to be a, a, another topic of discussion for another day. Um, but talking about another Red Bull the Red Bulls of Formula One. They're not the Chicago Bulls, but they are red. And they are, <laughs> they are Bulls. I like what you did there, Joy. <laughs> so they're not from Chicago, though. They're from Austria. Um, yeah, so the biggest news, uh, like we kind of, we already discussed this, but um, should we even discuss this again? Because we kind of covered it. Albon. I guess we should only discuss... Um, who is the prospects for the number two seat for Red Bull? Um, and that is A, um, Albon gets to keep his seat for one more season. I highly doubt it. But um, the other two choices are going to be outside the Red Bull stable. Uh, it's going to be Hulkenberg and Perez. And um, I personally think that. Hulkenberg should have this opportunity. I think he will have this opportunity. I actually, I am willing to bet money to any of our viewers um, that Hulkenberg will step into that Red Bull seat somewhere this season. Uh, and I have a quote from Ted Kravitz, um, who hosts The Notebook. It's kind of a podcast. It's kind of a recap of the race. Um, it's held in Sky Sports F1 YouTube. But he stated that he spoke with Helmut Marko. And he still thinks that Hulkenberg will be able mentally to cope with being beaten by Max Verstappen. And this is from Helmut Marko, okay? 
he Mohamed Marco believes that Sergio Perez might not might let it get to his head. Being able like not being able to beat Max might get into uh, Perez's head, and we've seen that happen, right? Uh, with Ocon and Perez at um, at Force India, we've seen the worst of Perez uh, during those times, and so. Um, I don't think I necessarily agree with Helmut Marko's reasoning, um, but I do think that the reason why I would pick um, Hulkenberg over Perez is because Hulkenberg has proven this season that he is adaptable. You could put him in a car with little to no practice, and he will score you some points. So a car that is completely alien to him and he will be able to make those adjust adjustments himself as as a driver. And not only that, um, I think what's incredible to, uh, incredible to me is that Otmar actually shared the story that after the race, Nico was actually giving the engineers input on how to make the car better, make the car more stable. And he's only been there for two days. So... I don't know. Uh, for me, I think um, I think Hulkenberg is the right man for the job. I am willing to. I stand by my statement that I'm willing to bet money that Hulkenberg, at some point in this season, he will step into that Red Bull seat um, because I think the sooner that you get um, Hulkenberg into that seat, I think the much more better he will be next season. I think you're going to gain a little bit more momentum. I'm excited to see what Hulkenberg now it's it's not confirmed yet but like I'm, I would be excited to see Hulkenberg what he could do in the Red Bull um he could probably get his podium finally but um moreover um Helmut Marco also stated that him and Christian Horner agreed that Alex Albon has only two races two races left to prove himself that he is worthy of the Red Bull seat and man, that is that is crazy because one of the races that counted was the recent one, Imola, and he finished 15th. So it's not going really well for him. I, I think um, he's gonna have to win this next race in order to keep a seat or at least you know score a podium next to uh, Max. But man, like again, like uh, Albon is an intense amount of pressure. Uh, but I think. Hulkenberg is the right man for the job. What do you think? Well, Joy, I think you are right. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not going to take that bet on him sitting in the seat at some point <laughs> Before this season. Before the season. Oh, okay, cool. I am not a betting man, and that is not my style. Right. Uh, but I do think Hulkenberg is the man for the job. Um, you know, like we talked about earlier with Checo, we haven't seen that consistency. Um, what, 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 evidence is there to show us that that consistency will magically show up in Red Bull. In Red Bull. When he's right. beating, when he's getting beaten by Verstappen. Sure. Uh, exactly. I mean, granted, they could probably steal a win or two, right. either one of them, every now and then. Right. But I feel that Hulkenberg is a little bit more, like you said, like, or not you, but Dr. Marco said that he's... Uh, mentally stable to take that he's going to play second fiddle to max. Right, right. 
Checo hasn't been a second driver in a long time. Right. So how would he react knowing that Verstappen will probably outscore him just about all the time? Not only that, and they'll, they'll probably choose him to get a better strategy. They'll probably choose Max to get a better strategy sure. than Checo. You know, and, 100%. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, of course, the word on the paddock or whatever is that that car is set up in a way to only where Max Verstappen can understand it. Right. That poses as a warning sign to Checo if that's true. Because I have not seen any instance where Checo is able to hop into something that's completely different. Right. And make the most out of it. Right. 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 Um, he's unlike Hulkenberg, right? He's been in uh, Force India for like seven years, I think, six. Mm-hmm. And so, it'll be interesting to see if he even gets a seat, you know, in Formula One. Uh, next sure. Year. So, we'll see. Sure. But, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, and you know, like Hulkenberg, you know, he's done that a couple times already this year. <laughs> this season. <laughs> right. So, I mean, does that promise us anything? If he were to get the Red Bull seat? No. no. But do I think that he's that one driver that could at least push Max or at least push the team right. to where he can get uh, Red Bull to where they need to be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Max, I think, has been on record saying that he would like to have uh, Nico Hulkenberg as a teammate, right? Right. And in a way, you can kind of feel that Max's control could be like, okay, whatever Max wants, Max gets. Right, right. Possibly. Right. And and I think he's also a team player, you know? We've seen that sure. with Ricardo. Like he's oh, absolutely. Willing, he's willing to be the rear gunner in order for right. the team to get the best results out of every Sunday. Sure. And, you know, not, not that this really matters too much, but F1 is a political sport, right? Yep. And it also helps when you speak the same language as the guys who <laughs> actually run the team. Right. I mean, not that, again, not that that might not matter. Right. Right. But it could help. Right. So, yes, I want Hulkenberg in there, um, too. And, you know, let's hope it comes into fruition. Yeah, but if not, uh, I think it's okay because, you know, we all know Red Bull's aspirations are to win and they're always going to make just like every team they're going to make the decisions that they believe is best for them right right yeah i absolutely agree um however um i do think that because uh here's my like kind of prediction for the red bull stables um i think that they are going to demote albon back to alpha tauri um, and unfortunately, I do think that that leaves Sonoda out of a Red Bull seat or out of a Formula One seat. Um, and, you know, I, I do like Sonoda. Uh, I do think he he's very talented. Um, but he's just going to be one of those few Formula Two drivers this season that we thought that they're going to get a seat. But they may not have a seat in Formula One. Uh, it's pretty crowded at the moment in Formula One. And uh, if my predictions go exactly how um, 
I thought they were going to be. I think they're going to be. Hulkenberg's going to get the second seat. Um, and then Albon's going to go back to AlphaTauri along with Pierre Gasly. And I think that's how it's going to stay. I think if Albon doesn't uh, perform well in AlphaTauri, I think, uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, Red Bull will pull the plug and probably put Sonoda back. I definitely don't think that Kvyat will be back. I think that Kvyat, I think this is his final year. I think he also senses that, um, you know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think Kvyat, I think, will go back to the Ferrari driver program um, and become a test driver for Ferrari. Uh, so, Dang. so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, do you have anything for Sonoda? I mean, it's kind of sad, you know, but... Well, um, I follow this YouTube channel called Formula World. And um, I think their episode, it was, I think yesterday's episode said, uh, Helmut Marco was on record saying that they have a young driver um, looking to be in that other AlphaTauri seat. <laughs> if it were up to me, as much as I love Alex Albon, I think he gets cut. Okay. Okay. I think it, I think you give Sonoda that chance yep. because that's what AlphaTauri is all about. It's right. all about developing young drivers. Right. Um, I understand that that might not happen because there is a super license issue right. at hand. And if that were to be the case, I wouldn't mind signing him on as the third driver for AlphaTauri. Right. Right. And should Alex Albon just, or even Pierre Gasly, should either one of them just you know, wet the bed, you can have <laughs> Sonoda step in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from there, figure out what you want to do with the driver that you're looking to release. Right. So that's, those are my thoughts on that. Right, right. And, and, um, I think, um, I forgot who, who stated this, but I think it's Lawrence Barreto and, um, I forgot who the guy is now for, uh, for the weekend warm ups for uh, F1, but they, they were talking, they, was, they were discussing the, the idea that if they put Nico Hulkenberg or Sergio Perez into that Red Bull seat, does that mean that the um, Red Bull driving program fails, right? Because that's what the, driving, the Red Bull driving program is there for, that the only ones that are driving the, the Red Bull cars are Red Bull drivers. And I think they bring up a good point that uh, because Max is so good, he kind of demolishes a lot of his teammates and a lot of the competition around him. And so, uh, but they did give credit to Red Bull because Red Bull does a lot of things for their young drivers. Like they give Red Bull, let, let's face it, right? The Red Bull gives the most opportunities in the grid for young drivers to prove themselves. Renault, I think, is the worst in that uh in that uh, program, uh, I don't think they give any of their young drivers a chance. Um, you know, I thought Guan Yu Zhou des deserves at least a drive, like a you know, like a practice drive. He doesn't even get that, or even Lungard, um, but he doesn't even get that as well. Now, I'm not saying like these guys are ready, but at least Red Bull is giving their young drivers uh, a, ch a chance and. Uh, I, th I thought that was a, a great point where they they discussed that the idea that 
a driver that isn't part of the Red Bull stables uh, coming into drive for Red Bull means that the the driving program fails. Um, so yeah, I never thought about that. Uh, I think it's a good point. Um, any thoughts? Uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it fails. Right. Right. Maybe it's just uh, that those are the right drivers. You're just not bringing them up at the right time. Right, right. Yeah, I, I absolutely so, agree. I think lack of experience is what is keeping a lot of the Red Bull uh, junior drivers or young drivers um, from really um, honing their skills into that Red Bull seat. Right. Like, I mean, for the a senior team, you know, yes, Max is a once in a generational talent, right. but maybe you just need that one outside driver because you felt that your young drivers weren't ready. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. Didn't David Coulthard drive for Red Bull? They did. But, uh, I think they, they did have like a, an excuse where like, Oh, that was the beginning of the Red Bull driving program. Um, I do think that they miss Daniel Ricardo a lot. Right, because they miss sure. they miss having this young, um, fast, and they're pretty much uh, everyone was jealous of Red Bull that they had these two amazing drivers driving their cars, um, and so yeah, I, I never thought that this would be the consequence of Ricardo leaving. I thought Ricardo was gonna take the short end of the stick and. You know, I, I thought that he wasn't going to have a career at Renault, um, but it seems like it's it's the other way around. I think Red Bull is really struggling to find a second driver alongside Max. Well, we just got to wait and see. Um, but I totally wouldn't say that it's a failure. And look, it's just a stopgap. Right, right. Absolutely. So, and, and stopgaps don't last forever. So, you know, Red Bull will find a way out of this. And, you know, one day they will have that young driver that's ready right. and will compete and bring in results for Red Bull with Max. Right. So, yeah, no, uh, it's not a failure by any means. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, it is kind of sad, though, that Gasly wasn't considered for the Red Bull seat, although... I wouldn't want Gasly back in that seat. I think, you know, it just ruins his confidence right when he's building it up. So, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the Honda IP, right? Uh, Helmut Marco said that the only way that they're going to buy the Honda IP is if there's an engine development freeze, which means that no team can develop their engines, which is going to be, we're going to be in this, like, I don't know. We're, we're going to be at the standing point from now until 2024 when the new engines come in. Like, I don't know. Do, do you think that that's a big problem when... Because uh, we know that the reason why that Red Bull wants an engine freeze is because, um, because by buying the Honda IP, they're not very confident that they could upgrade the engine as fast as or even understand the engine as fast as as much as honda understands it 
And so I think that's why they want to freeze the engines. Um, but freezing the engines also means that it could be another Mercedes dominance until 2024. Well, I think it's really going to work in Red Bull's favor. Okay. Very, very controversial take here. So if you're a Ferrari fan, you're gonna be like, yeah, you're you're gonna be like, Wes, what the f? Absolutely, like I, I think Ferrari uh, is gonna take the biggest hit out of this. If you're a Ferrari fan, you're I mean Ferrari, a Renault fan, you're like, Wes, what the f? Yeah. If you're a Mercedes fan, that's like you're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Mercedes loves the idea that no one else can develop their engines because they know that their engines are the best right now. Yeah, but for the sake of this part of the uh, conversation, we're looking at it from Red Bull's lens, right? right? right. Absolutely. And you, if I was Helmet Marco or Dietrich Mateschitz, I wouldn't uh, go back to Renault. No, absolutely I just, not. I just wouldn't. No, or even Christian and Max. I would just be like, no, <laughs> no freaking way I'm going back to your brand. I don't care if you, I don't care if you put a rocket ship in the in the engine we're not coming back right it's just no you you've proven to us that you didn't you're not going to work for us in this era because it's still going to be turbo hybrid going into 2021 right and a little bit of the new era but um yeah i mean i don't i don't see why not because that's really your best option at that point if you're looking at it from red bull's lens yeah that is just to take the honda engine and uh and uh, just make it your own make it a tag engine or something uh, i think of course yeah. of course uh sorry but there's the of course there's the option of perhaps uh running that first year with a older engine compared to everybody else but yeah but do you think what uh, that could yes yeah do you think that red bull are willing to do that though knowing that they're not going to develop the engine. They may lose the second place in the constructors. Um, you know, that's super risky. Running a one-year-old spec engine older, you know? Well, that, no. That okay. option, no. I, I don't think so. I, I think, I like I said, I'm really banking on uh, the FIA allowing an engine freeze. Okay. So the uh, Red Bull team can acquire the Honda IP and just pretty much take the Honda name off the Honda engine and just right. put their name on it and then make the developments from there. Right. Uh, or no, engine freeze, there wouldn't be, but right. uh, or just do whatever they want to do to stay in the sport. Um, but yes, I would want that if I were Red Bull. And I would want it too, personally, because... Like, I don't want to see Red Bull running a <laughs> Renault or yeah. Ferrari engine. Yeah. I, I would like to see him run a Mercedes engine. Another yeah. unpopular opinion that I'll probably have amongst the many I'll I mean, send out throughout the life of this podcast. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather have them have a Mercedes engine than the other two. But, right. I, I you know. Think, yeah, I, I think um, Dietrich and Helmut Marko have too much pride to go up to Toto Wolf 
and say, can you supply us with engines? You know, even if Williams, uh, like you said, goes to Renault, because they, they are kind of favoring uh, a, a engine switch to Renault. But do you think that Dietrich and Helmut would do that? Do you think they would go up to Toto and start a conversation about uh, an, en an engine replacement? Well, I think Toto is going to try and hold on to Williams, right? <laughs> right, right. And I don't think, just based on what I've read uh, throughout um, numerous articles lately, that Helmut Marco doesn't have the best working relationship with Toto Wolf anyway. Right, right, absolutely. absolutely. So I, I don't see that. I don't see that happening. And it's it's kind of hard because it's like, okay, you don't like Cyril Abitable and you don't like Toto Wolf. Who else can you really turn to at this point? Yeah. But no, when it comes to the engine freeze, I'm I'm for it. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I think so too. Um, hopefully, um, you know, a lot of teams like Renault are pushing to push the engine, the new engine regulations to 2023. Um, let's just, you know, I, I get what they're saying. Let's move it along. If we're gonna get new cars, we might as well also get new engines. Um, one that specifically targets you know quite close to zero emissions but uh we'll see we'll see in the future and uh you actually brought up this question about who makes the call in red bull um helmet marco i did Porter. yes can, i did can you elaborate more about the question sure so um for our listeners i asked jared one time um who really makes the calls on the fate of the drivers? Is it really, should it be Helmut Marco as it stands right now? Or should Christian Horner have more of a say? And I've always thought that team principals have more power over what drivers they want to send out onto the grid and not special consultants. I mean, I get Helmut Marco is the director of the driver program, so he will find that talent. But a part of me feels like, well, if that's the case, then shouldn't you just stay in your own lane, <laughs> find the drivers, and then let the team principal. So um, it's Franz Tost at AlphaTauri, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. And Christian decide whether those two drivers that they have, found by you, should be on that grid or not. Right. Rather than you send all four of them out there and then you just decide to throw them away when you don't want them anymore. Right. Well, yeah. Um, so I think the way that it is right now is that Christian Horner is the team principal. So he kind of goes through the day-to-day -day management of the team. But the only thing that he can't really touch is the drivers, right? I think because... Dietrich's um, right-hand man in Formula One is Helmut Marco, so I think Dietrich trusts Helmut Marco a lot more uh, than Christian Horner. Um, although Christian Horner and Helmut Marco do create this good pairing that allows them to kind of control Red Bull as a to like as a whole in general, even AlphaTauri. Right, um, AlphaTauri may not admit it, but 
Christian Horner is still kind of he's still kind of um, well let's let's put this the way I see it is that Dietrich's right hand man is Helmet Marco and Helmet Marco's right hand man is Christian Horner and you always answer to Helmet Marco so I don't know um, I think I've never heard I've never seen uh, Christian Horner make that decision based on who's the driver um, for Red Bull. I might be mistaken. I think early on in uh, Red Bull's development, um, when they were just like fighting for 10th and 11th on the grid, uh, maybe Horner was a little bit more in touch with the drivers, making sure that, um, you know, who, who was driving for his team. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think Helmet pulls the, the strings a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, and perhaps Christian Horner is more of a facade for that. You know, he, he doesn't really, he makes big decisions, but he doesn't make the decisions that alter the face of Red Bull, right? Um, and so, I mean, that's kind of just how I see it. I, I don't have a straightforward answer to who calls the shots because I'm pretty sure even um, I forgot who it was but uh, who said it but like they say even Dietrich is very in touch with Formula One and Helmut Marco has to ask these questions to Dietrich and Dietrich gives the answers so I don't know I think that was Ted Kravitz who said that um, I don't quite believe it. I think that um, Helmut Marco is still kind of the guy that kind of keeps it under his pocket uh, when it comes to making decisions into his Formula One teams. Interesting. Yeah, it's just it's just quite interesting because you know you don't see their structure. You don't is definitely um, Red Bull structure. It's it's different. It's different, different from every yeah because you don't right because you don't see Daimler IG or IG AG <laughs> right. telling Toto hey trash Valtteri or right, something, right. right? Or, you know, you don't see uh, whoever's the CEO of Renault. Uh, or, Jerome, yeah, just Jerome telling... Jerome Stoll, I think? Jerome Stoll, yes, telling Cyril Abitable, like, hey, uh, like, throw these two away, like, now. Right. You know? Right. Uh, I, or at least, at least that's what I don't see. So, right. you know, and, you know, and uh, Ferrari, um, I think it's Camilleri, Right. Yeah, I think so. He, yeah, he 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 seems to trust Mattia in whether, uh, you know, right. It it's going to be a Sebastian and Charles pairing. <laughs> I, th I think, and obviously that's not going to be the case. So yeah, I, I think that's a good transition to the next topic, right? Like Ferrari, how come? Sure. Why, why does Ferrari trust Mattia? Now, um, Martin Brundle, um said this right like he he said that Mattia is an engineer he's one of the smartest people on the grid but he's not the right man because he's not a manager he he doesn't know how to manage a team he's an engineer you know um and I don't know um I don't know what Ferrari sees in Mattia uh maybe it's because Mattia has been there for so long they trust him, and Mattia was also part of the, the dream team during Schumacher's era, so they probably believe that 
some of that magic will rub off and apply to this current um, Ferrari team. But it's tough. It's tough to to defend him right now. Uh, well, I mean, in that regard, well, if you're going to be a team principal, you have to have a knowledge of motorsport to an extent, right? right. So Christian Horner was a driver. Uh, Toto Wolf was a driver, not in Formula One, but in racing. Right. Um, you know, I believe Otmar has a bit of a engineering background. He does, yeah. Uh, yeah, Gunter Steiner was a mechanic. Right. But so just because, right, right. Just oh, because the point I'm trying to make is just because you did the more technical stuff doesn't mean you can't lead the team. Right, right. Um, but I feel like, in a way, given how you set it up, it could be just the wrong hiring at the wrong time. Right. Um, because I I like. I mean, of course. Yeah. I like the previous um. Ferrari team principal. Uh, Domenicali? No, no, uh, Maurizio Arrivabeni. Oh, right. Okay. Because right, right. I, th- I think he was, you know, um, on the on the interview on the interviews that I, I seen him. He he's a very nice man. He's very he's very polite, but you do get a sense that he does have that Ferrari ruthlessness, where sure. you know if you mess up. You know, it's it's on you, and I think behind the scenes, Maurizio does, uh, kind of is very strict, especially uh with Ferrari, and I think they lo- they lost that with Matteo uh, Matteo Benotto. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you know, speaking from a management lens, right? You like just uh, just. A lot of people like to hire based on name recognition, and that's really how the sports business is. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. So it just so happened that Mattia being a part of Ferrari practically his whole life, it would make sense at the time. Right. But of course, over time, you might realize, okay, maybe there was somebody else that somebody could else, have been right. the successor to the last guy. Uh, but, you know, I feel like the problems at Ferrari are just more than Mattia Bonato. Yeah. And do I know what that is? No, because I don't <laughs> know what goes on in the Ferrari garage or the Ferrari office every day. Right. But, you know, them being in the top three and then falling out of grace does not, it's not supposed to happen the way it's happening right now. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, you know, uh, I don't have enough to... And I don't think I want enough to know what's going on behind Ferrari's uh, factories to, you know, to see where it's all wrong. Because at the moment, it seems that everything is wrong with Ferrari. Um, and nothing is going right for them. So, so yeah, uh I think you you bring up a good point that that we're never gonna we're never gonna really know until until there's improvements right um, and there's like visible improvements uh, especially to the car so mm-hmm. 
yeah, uh, I think on that note, we can. We've already confirmed that you know the two Alfa Romeo drivers get to keep their seat, which is kind of sad because the Ferrari drivers this year seemed very promising, with Eilat, Schwartzman, and Schumacher. Uh, it mm-hmm. seems as though at least one of the Haas seats will go to Schumacher, right? But uh, you also pretty much predicted that um, Mazepin is going to get that second seat for Haas. Yes. Um, well, prior, I thought that Haas was going to be Mazepin. So not Macepin, but Mazepin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, was going to be partnered up with Islet. Right. That's what I thought, and that right. Schumacher was gonna be Which paired. No, I thought Kimi oh, was gonna Kimi. stay. Oh, with Kimi, right, 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 right. He's staying, he's staying, right. right. Uh, because you know you need that mentorship. You know, right. maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Mick can learn a lot from a one-word kind of guy, right? Right, and or a short, short word kind of guy, but has the race experience. Right, and, I always, and has seen it all. I always thought that uh, Alfa Romeo was the the direct path to Ferrari. I it feel, looks like it. I feel right. Like, yeah, I feel like um, I don't understand why Haas is now willing to take two young drivers when you know they claim that they're independent. So I guess there's kind of a change in um, culture in Haas that you know we're willing to take whatever Ferrari gives us. Well, I guess you know. Haas is taking in that rebuilding strategy of just blowing it all up and <laughs> starting over, right? right? right. Which I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. Because it looked like they were going to get nowhere with Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. And there's nothing wrong with that, uh, you know? And there's, it's not disrespect to those two drivers. You know, they're, they're very good racing drivers. Um, you know, wish them well and whatever they want to do next. But you really sometimes have to pull the plug and just go, all right, we're not getting anywhere. Let's start over. Yes, there's going to be growing pains, so we're still going to keep losing. But our path to winning will be a lot shorter than (laughs) what it is now. Right, right. But um, to the main focus of this segment, which is uh, Kimi and Antonio Giovinazzi. I mean, I don't know what you think, Jared, but I think it's bad. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, I wanted, I really wanted Mick Schumacher to be paired with Kimi Räikkönen. So I'm okay with Räikkönen coming back. Right. I mean, we could use ten years of Räikkönen. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it looked like, given the free practice schedule and everything that it was going to be uh, Schumacher to Alpha. And, of course, with your uh, imagery of uh, uh, that Alpha was going to be the direct path, I think that's just because we're all caught up in the Charles Leclerc success story, right? Yeah, perhaps. But but, um, I thought that's what it was going to be because that's what Sauber usually is. It's a teaching team like Alpha Tori. But for whatever reason, that's not happening, and they're keeping them both. Now, last last week's uh, race kind of justified that, but that doesn't happen all 22 weeks of the year. Right, right. So I don't I don't understand that at all. And no, again, no disrespect to Antonio Giovinazzi, great driver, but.
but I don't think he is deserving of that spot. I think it belongs to either Mick Schumacher or Callum Eilert, but, uh, you know, even for Eilert, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a guarantee that he's going to uh, F1 at all. Right. So, Right. Yeah, uh, I, I see your point. Um, I, I actually thought that Raikkonen was going to retire by the end of the season. It sounded like he wanted to retire uh, in the beginning of the season. So immediately I thought, yeah, they're, they're just going to use those two seats to um, to give it to the new um, Ferrari drivers, the, the junior drivers. And, yeah, it's a shock to me that both of them are staying. Um, and Schumacher is most likely going to get a Haas seat. And Mazepin, who, I don't know, uh, I, I don't think he deserves that Haas seat. Um, but... You know, we've, we've seen in the past that money can buy your Formula 1 seat. And with it, I think, might come along with Haas, right? Like, the ownership of Haas might... It might not be Haas anymore um, in the near future. I don't think Gene Haas is very keen on keeping a Formula 1 team. I think he's finally seen how hard it is to maintain a Formula 1 team. Although he did have some success a couple years back, um, you know the the cost of Formula One is just too too great at this time at this point. And yeah, I, I think this is a way for Haas to um, softly or gently uh, leave the sport of Formula One by handing it over to a billionaire in Mazepin, right? So. So yeah, I mean that, that's just kind of my thoughts on like the situation between the the Ferrari junior drivers. Yeah, no, um, actually, in our pre-production meeting when you brought up the new owners, I was that was kind of taken aback because I actually did not find anything on that, okay. did not know that at the start. Yeah, yeah. But if that if that really is the case, then yeah, that just goes to show how much money can really buy in well, Formula yeah. One. I actually, well, yeah, I'll. I'll... I'll cite my sources. Uh, I actually got this idea from Lawrence Barreto, and damn, I keep forgetting his name. He's pretty much the the most one of the most famous faces. Alderesta. No, no, no. Um, uh. Uh, I'm gonna kick myself because I love him. He's one of my favorite uh, presenters in uh, Formula. Jolly on Palmer. No, no, no. Um, uh. He has all the bracelets. Well, anyway, yeah, <laughs> go on. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, um, that's where I got the source from. Uh, it's a rumor going around that uh, Gene Haas is willing to um, sell the team to Mazepin. Um, he doesn't really, I don't think Gene Haas doesn't really care which hands the team ends up in as long as he could sell it, you know. And so, yeah, uh, I think this might be, we're nearing the end of the last American team in Formula One in 30, 25 years, I think. So, yeah, it's fun while it lasted, but you could tell um, Haas was struggling. For sure. And, you know, um, maybe one day, if that really is the case, then maybe one day we can see another team come back, right. uh, an American team. Right. But 
for now, uh, it, uh, if the, it, it kind of looks like that, um, that Haas is looking to restructure and yeah, it's going to be a real interesting next couple of weeks on how they want to approach, uh, 2021 and the future. Right. Okay, cool. And so we're kind of, uh, nearing the end. Uh, so now we're just going to go through a fun topic. Um, I think we could skip over my track list. I think that's going to take a little, a uh, bit longer. Uh, but Surreal's tattoo, what do you think it's going to be? And where do you think it's going to be? Oh, I want to say... Uh, I'm saying... Left, left, left pectoral. <laughs> okay. Honey badger. Oh, I was about to say honey badger, left cheek, left butt cheek. Oh, boy. <laughs> Or Either way, it's not going to be visible. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or it depends, like, right? Like, one tattoo could be massive. It could be, like, a full-sleeve tattoo. Um, <laughs> but uh, I- I'm excited. I'm excited to see where Cyril, uh, what Cyril gets for his tattoo. Um, I think the bet should have been every podium should be uh, a tattoo. But I think uh, he didn't realize that Ricardo was going to score two podiums this season. So well, I mean, one I think is already enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Because those <laughs> things, those things, at least from people that I know that have tattoos, those things hurt. Right, right. And I'm considering getting tattoos myself. So okay, it's it's like, well, okay, do I want to have to go through all of that? If you're if you're Cyril Abitable, it's like okay, yeah. Do I want to have to go through like multiple times of that? Because yeah, we don't know how his. Uh, tolerance to that yeah needles and such is yeah and and that's the thing you know daniel ricardo is a, is a good guy so um he'll he'll let you know he won't make the tattoo visible um for anyone to see you know daniel ricardo isn't like that type of guy where like oh yeah you you gotta get a tattoo of a red bull oh uh, <laughs> i don't think he's that type of guy um and so you know he's gonna i think he's gonna be a little bit more nice to Cyril. I, I think Cyril and Daniel respect each other that much that uh, I think it's going to be fun to pick out the tattoo, but I also think that he, he wants to respect Cyril and um, make sure that it's not visible. It's not too gratuitous. Uh, so yeah, uh, whatever it is, I think it's going to be great. Absolutely. As it should be. I mean, I, I think we're not put on this world at least uh, to be the the kind to embarrass people, right. right? I mean, of course, there are some that are made out to be like that, but Danny Rick is far from said person. Right. Like you said, he's a very nice guy, very genuine guy, very charismatic guy. Right. And it's like you could be you could be feeling totally down, but if you're a friend of his or a colleague of his, uh, his smile will make you feel better about whatever is going on in your day. So he's a, he's a yes. sunshine. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's what you. I think that you have to be that if, if you grew up in in Perth, Australia, which is by the way covered in beaches and and he owns a farm. I think so. Yeah. Uh, hey, top five country in the world, Australia. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to visit uh, Australia. I'd love to visit um uh Perth and Sydney and. Uh, where is the F1 race held at? Uh, Melbourne. Melbourne, Melbourne, Albert Park. 
Yeah. Albert Park, here we come, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. And so, um, probably, uh, let's just cover uh, boxing uh, today. Kind of cut a little bit short. Um, I'm mean, super. Uh, I'm mean, super. Uh, I'm super excited for Kell Brook and uh, Bud. Ah, yes, the cable only fight. Um, yeah. Given that Terrence Crawford is the WBO champion, um, he's a uh, obviously a pay per view fighter at this point in his career. Right. Um, arguably, the top welterweight in the division. Of course, yeah. Kell Brook is no joke. Kell Brook is good. He yeah. is he was dangerous. To, right. He was supposed to be the welterweight championship. Uh, he was supposed to be the welterweight champion uh, until he decided to move up in weight, in middleweight, and challenge Triple G, which was a big mm. mistake. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I'm excited to see Kell uh, back. Um, I think his nickname is Special K, right? I believe so. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, I think it would be great to see him back. Um, I want to see where he fits in the welterweight um, division. Uh, you know, the welterweight division is packed. Um, we've taken a break a little bit, right? We haven't seen a lot of big fights uh, coming out of the welterweights um, as of, like, the last year. We've seen a lot from uh, the lightweights, uh and the heavyweights, I would say Povetkin versus Dillian White was a pretty big fight. So, yeah, and even um, the featherweight division. Um, Inoue is featherweight, right? Or is he light? He's a featherweight. Um, a yeah, he just got off that fight with uh, Maloney. Right, right. Um, and it was almost right on par. Most of the analysts that I followed, like uh, those on CBS, I right. think it's... I forgot the names, but CVS predicted a round six. I think he took him out in seven. Seven, yep. And that was a vicious shot, too. Vicious Once shot. we saw my, uh, I was watching that fight because uh, I have uh, ESPN Plus, and when I was watching uh, Maloney's head go sideways, I was like, oh, <laughs> gosh. And, you know, Inoue is no joke. Um, there are rumors actually, Prior that, to that fight, yeah. Sorry, uh, Joy, but ahead, prior Joy. to that fight, um, you know, we were watching highlights of Inoue, and yeah, like, it's it's really he's a really electrifying electrifying fighter, right. and Tim Bradley Jr. said that this man could literally be the next Manny Pacquiao. And for a guy that says that, says that <laughs> After, especially as a guy who fought him three times, three times. That, if you're now yeah in a way, that's a lot. That's that a lot. means a lot, right? And yeah, uh, I think uh, there's a rumor that he might fight Gervonta Davis. Is that so? Right. Like, now, it's still a little far off, right? Because, yeah, it's still a little far I off. I mean, it's two of, weight classes uh, ahead. Right, right. Because and I think... Uh, really, I, go ahead, yes. Yeah, I think Inoue wants to capture uh, the belt that um, Donaire has. Forgot what no, it called. is not Donaire. So Donaire and Ubali are fighting for, I think... Uh, one of the open belts, and then the other one is a Filipino, uh, John Real Casimero. Right, right. There you go. So um, he wants to unify, right? Uh, and, um, you know, speaking of Gervonta Davis, though, well, I mean, Inoue, hell of a fighter. Right. Keep, doing what you, keep doing what he's doing. He's got to keep doing what he's doing. And, yeah, he could be the next best thing from Asia. 
right. You know, he's, he could be huge. But onto Gervonta Davis, uh, I believe he is being sought out by Teofimo Lopez, who, okay. Okay. Uh, who just came off that huge upset over uh, Vasily Lomachenko. Right, right. And, you know, uh, that that was a little hard to watch. Uh, was, yes, it was. I mean, I, I will say uh, Loma turned it up in the second half of the fight and made a case to make it closer than what the judges actually had it, Right. in my honest opinion. But it was too little too late. Um, and, you know, that was the first time I've seen Loma in full. And it, it was disappointing. Yeah, it's kind of like... It's kind of like buying that ticket to see, you know, I guess the Los Angeles Lakers only to find out that LeBron James is not playing. <laughs> right? Yeah, so so that's kind of how it felt. No disrespect. Again. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I think I think he's a great I think he's still obviously a great fighter. I, I think what really will happen is that um they will seek a rematch because that's just what that's just what champions do. I think I think rematch like clauses only, and all. I think that's the only fair thing to do, right? Uh, I would like to see a rematch um, because I don't know about you, but um, the rounds that Teofimo won, they weren't that they weren't as convincing as the rounds that Lomachenko won for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it'll be an interesting rematch. Um, now Teofimo, I mean not Teofimo Loma did have a surgery after the fight, um, which I didn't know of. Um, seemed looked to be pretty severe. I think it's their his rotator cuff. He injured his mm. rotator cuff in practice or in training, um, which is, I mean, you know, he's a warrior. He he didn't bring it up before the fight, um, and he just he kept fighting. So, uh, you know, props to him. Absolutely. And props um, to Tio Fimo as well. I think he deserves. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That was his uh, defining moment. And, you know, the big question now is, can he defend it? Because right. the last right. time we've seen somebody score an upset on a unification bout, they ended up flopping the next fight. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, side note, shout out to my guy, AJ, for bringing them back. Hey. Bringing those belts back. Hey, okay. But speak and speaking of that division, um, I do want to talk about um, Alexander Usyk. Right. Who was actually in a bit of a uh, bit of a uh, trouble with? Um, I believe he fought a uh, Chisora, right? Yeah. So and yeah, Chisora was actually giving him a run for his money for a little bit. Right. But of course, you know, Usyk overcomes, and uh, he is in line to perhaps fight someone like a. Tyson Fury or an AJ. Right, right. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I need to see a little bit more from him. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I feel like Tyson and AJ is still the top heavyweights of that, of uh, the top fighters of that division. <laughs> and Maybe I would like to see him against Andy Ruiz first. Okay. Um, maybe Dillian White. Uh, has he okay. fought Dillian White? Uh, not that I know of, but I actually think uh, I actually think it would be a good matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or 
Povetkin, you know, so... Yeah. Uh, let me check, let me check, just to be quick. No, he hasn't fought any of these guys, so I would like to see him first, you know, fight these guys that I know have been in battles, um, have been tested, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what uh, Usyk has. I don't know much of him, so uh, I can't really put much uh, out there yet. Sure. Um, and one uh, fighter I do want to revisit because uh, we only talked about him for like a few seconds, but um, we need a we need to shout him out here. But Gervonta Tank Davis, yeah, like what a guy! What an um, incredible left uppercut! What an incredible left uppercut too! Like sixth round, correct? Yes. Sixth round, guy gets ding donged. Where have we um, near the end of the round? Where have we seen that before? Uh, <laughs> but oh my gosh um it seemed like it was gonna be a fight for the ages should that knockout have not happened right right um it looked like you know uh gervonta had it uh had the slight edge going uh into round uh it was, it was pretty close seven. yeah and i think santa cruz's strategy uh leading up to the fight was to actually let Gervonta do his thing for right. the first half of the fight and right. then figure it counter, out. Yeah, try to counter Gervonta. Right, right. Unfortunately, it got a little too offensive heavy towards the end of that sixth round and then out went the lights in San Antonio. <laughs> but hey, speedy recovery, you know, wish nothing but the best. Right, right. Still a great guy, still a great fighter, still a champion to right. me. And then for Gervonta, got to keep moving forward. You know, options out there. But Man, hell of a fight. And this weekend, uh, we have uh, Devin Haney and I guess the ageless wonder, if you will, Yuri Arcus Gamboa. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and what are your thoughts on both guys? Man. And where do you think that's going to end up? Uh, I like Yuri Arcus. Um, you do. do? I do. I like. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, I, I like him. Um, I also like. Devin Haney, but, you know, I, I think we've, we've discussed this before, you know, they, they don't, I need to see Devin Haney um, tested first, and I think this is his first true test in, mm -hmm. um, in Uriokis, Gamboa, so we're going to see, right, we're going to see how good Devin Haney is, I do think Devin Haney has a better chance of winning, um, only because Yuri Orcus is already, is already 38, you know, uh, you did call him the ageless wonder, but, um, his last fight, he did lose to Gervonta Davis, right? And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, I do think that Devin Haney might, may take it. Um, but you know, uh, I'm always oh. glad to be wrong. How do you plan he will take it? I think I think it might be I'm gonna say TKO. In eleven. Eleven. Okay. Yeah, I don't think Devin Haney is. Uh, I don't think he's that impressive of a finisher. Um, you know, uh, he does have a lot of power, um, but he is a little bit more technical. Um, I think. So, 
we'll see. We'll see. I think he he'll be very cautious against Yuriokis, but um, I think Devin Haney uh, will win this fight. Hey, when you train train out of the TMT gym, you are technical, <laughs> correct? Right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I think Devin takes it on points. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you know, yes, the ageless wonder. It's cool. You know, ever since I've been watching boxing, much alongside with you, right? Actually, pretty much all our all my life, right? And yeah, we've seen the name come up many times. Yuri Arcus Gamboa, and it's cool to see him in twenty twenty. Right. Um, but. Devin Haney, I think he's good. I think he's the future. And obviously, there's the matchup that we want uh, with Devin. Um, he's beaten this guy twice in the amateur ranks. We want to see him face his uh, this guy <laughs> in the pros. So let's see well, if he can take care of business. Well, and uh, for all the listeners, hold on. Uh, the guy we're talk- I'm referring to is Ryan Garcia. If he can hold his business in December 7th, uh, which, then... Uh, I, I don't believe so, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, well, well, I'm going for Luke Campbell oh, against okay. Ryan Garcia. So, okay, like we we discussed this, right? I don't really believe the new fighters coming in, um, but I do believe in Luke Campbell. He has been in wars with Lomachenko, and um, I forgot who the other fighter he. I think he's one of the biggest lightweights out there lightweights yeah but yeah uh regardless uh luke campbell has been in wars um you know he's a he's an olympian so he knows what he's doing we'll, we'll see we'll see what ryan garcia can do linares oh, he, he's fought linares or linares oh a wild card fighter right so yeah we'll see. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we'll see, right. Um, of course, like I said, uh, boxing, fighting in general, um, you know, it's a people sport and that's what we want to see, right? We want to see Ryan G go up there with Devin Haney because they've duked it out before. Let's see him do it at the, where it actually counts and the pros. Um, and, uh, I guess the last fight of the calendar year that we should all be looking forward to is AJ and Pulev. (laughs) So, what do you got there? I think it's going to be AJ. Yes, sir. AJ. I think yes, AJ sir. is going to get this. Um, probably decision. Okay. Decision. Um, yes. Um, I think so, too. Um, and that's just because uh, after that loss to uh, Ruiz, I think he's learned that his style can only go a certain right. point. Right? right? When he starts fighting faster... Faster hands, maybe not faster feet, but faster hands. Right, right. Uh, he's gonna have to be able to defend and move and be pick his shots. And you know, of course, when he did clash in the dunes, he was able to capitalize on that. So, yeah, I think uh, AJ will beat Pulev on points. He needs to be on track to get that super fight, right, with Tyson Fury. Um, and then from there, we can make a whole new discussion on that. But yeah, that's uh. That's 2020, I believe, um, unless there are, there are other fights that I just missed. No, uh, I think that is it. Like We pretty much covered the, the biggest ones coming up. Okay. 
Um, so one thing I do want to talk about, uh, I think this would be the perfect uh, topic to talk about to close on the uh, boxing section of this show. And that is today, Golden Boy and The Zone. Yeah. Um, pretty much uh, voided their contract with Canelo Alvarez. Right. He's a free agent. How big is this for boxing? And what do you think his steps are moving forward? I think it is huge for boxing. The face of boxing itself is a free agent. You know, he's no longer with Golden Boy Productions. Um, he's no longer with The Zone. Um, I would think that um, his fights are still going to be pay-per-view. Um, he's that. He's just that you know type of caliber fighter, and he's moving up in weights. He actually, I think he still owns. Um, championship belts right in different weight classes so yes um it's gonna be tough man it's gonna be tough but i think he's just gonna go with like his own production company um it seems like that's what every you know smart fighter does nowadays so yeah interesting yeah i i do think it's big um because uh for one you know he was the zone's i think biggest client right right um and then of course they signed triple g and everybody else and at that time it looked like it was going to be a path for another canelo triple g fight um but now it seems like canelo's focus is on caleb plant right and um yeah i think he could just do that right he could literally just show up kind of pull a floyd mayweather if you will just if you were to fight Caleb Plant, who is under the premier boxing champions banner, just really pull up to Fox and just be like, you know what? I'm for me. And, you know, you could pay Caleb Plant whatever you want. Just know that I want to be paid more. Right, right, right. right. And we want to, I want to do this. I want to do part of the production my way. Right. Whatever happens in the ring happens, but yeah, right. And, yeah, and I feel like he's already at the point where he can market himself to that astronomical, almost godlike figure right. in the sport. Right. Absolutely. So, to me, it's a win for Canelo, knockout loss for Dazone and Golden Boy. <laughs> Absolutely. And from there, hopefully, he gets his, uh, you know, bout with Caleb Plant. Right. Um, and. Uh, yeah, you know, and I'm sure, you know, the zone can find someone to fill in that roster spot. Now, would the magnitude be the same? I don't know. Yeah. I, right? I, I, because, I mean, yeah, AJ and Triple G are great to have on your team. But to have a big three, especially in today's era of sports, big threes are always good. Right, right. Absolutely. Um. Well, and then I guess just, I guess, a quick... Quick take here. Who should be that replacement? Ooh, man. I think they're leaning towards Garcia, right? Ryan? They're building, okay. They're building up Ryan Garcia to be pretty much the next Oscar De La Hoya. But we'll see, man. I, like I said, um, I think he's going to get tested. So we'll see. For sure. For sure. Oh, That's pretty much our show. Uh 
thank you so much, Wes, for coming out. I mean, this is your, this is you and I, you know, this is our show. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week, Friday, to discuss our predictions for the Turkish Grand Prix. Um, you know, uh, that's pretty much our focus is F1. And at that moment, at that time, we'll also talk about the the fight at Saturday, uh, November 14th, which is Kelbrook and Bud Terrence Crawford. And a recap of Devin Haney and uh, Yuri Orcas Gamboa. Yes, yes. Um, yes. So, yes, Jer- um, thank you for having me as a part of this show. Um, here's to more episodes. And, uh, yeah, everyone, thank you for listening and stay safe.